The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Hey there. Welcome to another fun, exciting, action-packed edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes Podcast. My name is Lenny, but who knows for how long. I hope you guys are having a good, maybe, uh, Halloween Eve. We used to call it... the fuck did we used to call it? We used to call it Mischief Night, the night before Halloween or something like that. But it's about Halloween time. And I have a special episode that kind of ties into the uh, the season, so to speak. I talked to a guy who is a cop, and he is also a paranormal investigator. A very interesting episode, to say the least. Honestly, I would say top 10 out of my favorites. Friend of the podcast, Better Call Saul, a.k.a. Silent Bob, joins the podcast. My co-host this week, excellent co-host. He did a fucking fantastic job. Like I said, top 10 podcast. I don't want to say anything else about it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. But before we get into that, I got to give huge, awesome, big thanks to my good buddies over at officerprivacy.com. I can't say enough about them. I know it feels really good when I Google my name and my information doesn't come up. I challenge all of you to do that. Google your name and your city. All these people search sites are going to come up and you're going to be amazed at how much information is just readily available to whoever wants it. My listeners, you may be in law enforcement. You may not want some rando coming up to your house after a call or, God forbid, you're involved in a national incident. Maybe you're not in law enforcement. Maybe you've had a bad breakup. Maybe you've had this or that. You just don't want that information readily accessible for somebody to find you. Stalkers, people wanting to steal your identity. There's so many reasons why you don't want your information online. That's where my good buddies, Officer Privacy, come in to help. Now, you may be a do-it-yourself kind of person. You can do it yourself. They'll give you the tools to remove yourself from these people search websites, and you do it on your own. Or you can be like me, sign up for the premium service, and they do everything for you. And I just sit back and relax and make shitty podcasts. So, you guys know what to do. Go over to my friends, officerprivacy.com, and take your privacy back. All right, I've been kind of shitty about playing music because I've been kind of lazy on Thursdays. I believe up next on my list, well, it doesn't matter because he's up next on my list, I have Seth Mills out of Nashville, Tennessee. 
and we'll be right back with the podcast. Rolling fast, burning up this road. I can hear those 33s humming down below. Remember back, roll the radio down for me. When we were Jack and Diane in this modern world, my hands between your All right, folks, welcome to the podcast. This episode, I have the one, the only, the Birdman, who you may remember from a recent podcast. He wasn't actually on the episode, but he had a a nice story for us. And he's going to talk about all things paranormal, and he's a cop. Also on the podcast, our good friend and lover, Silent Saul, who is here because we love him, and he loves ghosts. Birdman, how are you? Good. How are we doing tonight, Lenny? I am doing fantastic. Saul, how are you, buddy? America. I, I'm i excited for this episode. I haven't planned anything, but that's why I know it's going to be actually good. Now, Birdman, you said something that kind of triggered me a little bit. You called me by my name, Lenny, which doesn't happen very often on the podcast. I think I'm going to have to change my name because I think that's kind of the goof. Yeah. The question is, do I do I change the name or do I keep going? As Lenny. Is Lenny going to survive or should it be something else next season? Well, maybe you should give yourself like a really cool code name, Dragon, something along those lines. I may or may not have allegedly been called Nighthawk at one point in my policing career. I mean, that's a pretty cool nickname. I, I, I could maybe go with Nighthawk. I don't know. I vote you go with Cletus. That is a name that needs to make a comeback. I could. I was thinking about doing an L name just to stick with the L's. But like, uh, I, Lemmy was the natural progression, I think. Uh, I had some people say Lawrence. There's Lance. A lot of- Lance, Lance is always a good one. That's a douche name. I don't know anybody that's not a douche. Oh, that's why it's amazing. It's super douche. Uh, that's a bad one. I would swing more towards like Lamangelo. <laughs> Lamangelo. <laughs> you know, I gotta be honest, I've heard a lot of names, but I haven't heard Lamangino or Lamangino. I can't even fucking say it. So it's that's actually why. spelled lemon jello, but it's pronounced Lamangelo. <laughs> Is that a fucking key and peel bit or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Say it one way or the other. Dude, don't make fun of my speech impediment. Okay, it's not my fault. All right. So I guess we should probably talk about some police work and some uh, paranormal stuff. Birdman, you've been a cop for over 20 years in um, the Sunshine State. Yeah, I just uh, rolled into my 22nd year of law enforcement down here in uh, South Florida. How much longer you got? Three and a half. You're getting there. Yeah, I'm kind of in the downward spiral right now. I got three and a half left. Uh, I could stay. We have a deferred retirement option in the agency that I work. but I kind of, uh, I'm going to kind of opt out of that 
just with the way that the job's going right now and everything surrounding the job. And I think that I'll be just fine without saying for the deferred retirement option. Uh, my wife and I actually own a business and we do pretty well for ourselves. So uh, I think that the 25 mark, I'm going to actually punch the ticket. I got to ask, though, is it hard knowing you only have three years left to stay focused? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm still one of those true believers. I absolutely love the job. I absolutely love what I do. Um, I'm in my, uh, let's just say, higher number of 40s. And I'm still out there running circles around the young kids that are starting. I absolutely love what I do. And I absolutely love the job. I don't like all the noise on the outside. I still go in there and I get it every day. My biggest thing is that I want to show these young guys the way to do it, do it the right way. I did some field training for a couple of years. I actually just gave that up, just a personal decision. And I still want to train the young guys and I still want to teach them how to do it the right way before I walk out the door. Because when I came in, you know, we all have the cop daddy stories, you know, the old guy that took you under the arm, walked you down the road, showed you how to do the job, taught you how to do it the right way. And they all told me the same thing before they walked out the door, just passing on. And I'm not sure about the agencies across the country, but down here in South Florida, we had the big crack and cocaine boom in the 80s. And a lot of agencies down here right now are 80 to 85 percent under 10 years. So all that experience went out from 2015 on. So the guys like me that were hired in the interim in between are now having by attrition, we're having to replace all those, those guys that left and the guys aren't getting the level of training that we got from those guys that were here in the eighties that actually went through it and saw all the changes that were emerging when I came in, in the early 2000, you know, or early 2000. So to pass that knowledge on and to pass all that on before I walk out the door, that's why I'm still doing what I do. And plus I still love chasing bad guys. I still love going out. And I still love getting it. Like, you know, it's 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 what I do. It's it's my job. It's what I love to do. I feel like I have a little something for you because that honestly was probably some of the most inspirational shit I've heard on this podcast. Well, I I think it's I I think it's kind of lost. Made reference to the noise on the outside, and I, I think for a lot of folks, myself included. I let that noise kind of affect me. Well, kind of, not not just kind of, I did let it affect me. And I think it's affected a lot of people in this profession. And that noise has sort of killed the job, but you're kind of living proof. And I know there's certain exceptions. I mean, like, I, I think there's certain places where you just, you're not even able to do your job anymore. But there's still so many communities, there's still so many departments where you can actually still be a cop that I think you forget about that because you let that outside noise affect how you, how you do the job, how you live your life. Well, I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the agency that I work, I'm very, very fortunate that my bosses and I all came up together. They know the way that I work. I know the way that they work. We've worked closely for a lot of years and I'm one of those people that, all right, I'm just going to say it. Fuck policy. I'm going to go out and I'm going to catch bad guys because every bad guy I put in fucking jail is one less guy that's going to victimize my family or victimize somebody that I love. And that's the way I got to look at it. 
So every gun I get off the street, that's one less gun that my partners are going to face on the street. Every bad guy that I lock up, that's one less bad guy that is going to be out there to victimize my family and by numbers and by everything else. Eventually, it's going to come back to somebody that you care about. And if I was that guy that made that right-hand turn when I had that shitbox car with three bad guys in front of me, and I made that right-hand turn because I didn't want to deal with it because I was afraid that I might get into a shootout, I might have to use force, I might have to do this, I might have to do that. And that shitbox car was the one that rolled up and robbed somebody that I cared about and ended up shooting them. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Or another cop pulled over and ended up getting into a gunfight and he was by himself and he didn't have the availability of backup that I do in my agency. I would never be able to live with myself because I let that go past. That's just, that was ingrained with me from day one, from the guys who brought me up and the guys that trained me in the agency that I work. I, I don't, in theory, disagree with what you're saying. And just coming from the perspective that I came up, I we had a little bit of that, that mindset. But it, you know what? We're we're men. We can have a discussion. I I disagree a little bit with like the fuck the policy thing because don't get me wrong, fuck policy because a lot of them are fucking stupid. But I think the the question you have to ask yourself as a law enforcement officer, I enforce the laws. Now I have discretion in those laws, but I I enforce the laws. However, I'm not going to hold myself accountable to the rules set forth by the agency, what kind of example am I setting? Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. And maybe I didn't explain myself by fuck policy, but what I'm saying is yes, even when the policies became more, more restrictive, I'm still going to go out there and I'm still going to do my job. I'm still going to do it within policy. Like I said, I was an FTO. I preach policy. I could dictate policy in my car every night. I could dictate law. I could do all that, but, I'm not going to let that restrictive policy beat me down mentally to the point where I'm like, well, if this car, you know, scooter bops on me when I get out of the car to write the ticket or to not write the ticket or to, to make that encounter and I get in my car and I follow it for X amount of feet or X amount of blocks, I'm going to get banged out for, uh, for an improper pursuit. I know the policy now. I know if I get out and that car takes off on me, I got to get back in my car with my body camera on, go the other way. All right. I'm still going to go out and I'm still going to do my job. I'm not going to be one of those guys that's going to sit in the parking lot and just bitch and complain and bitch and complain and not go out and do the job because I have to do it within the four corners of the paper. You know, that's kind of the, that's what we signed up for. And if we can't live that life and we can't do it by that, then, Maybe you should be out selling real estate or doing something else. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, like it. Does that does that kind of Very like told. clarify? No, no, point? it it definitely makes sense. And I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I just I don't know. And and maybe uh, maybe this makes me wishy washy. I don't know. But I I don't like saying kind of all or nothing things. But I I do agree with what you're saying. I think. Depending on where you're at in the country, though, like we'll just give an example about the guy sitting in the parking lot. You know what? Let me take let me take a step back because I, I heard something that kind of I think applies to this really early on in the academy days. And I'm not going to do it justice, but an instructor was talking about how it's a game. This whole thing is a game. The rules are always changing for us. 
when I say us, I mean cops, but they're not changing for the criminal. So it, it, it like let's let's use like an analogy. I know you're probably a big Buccaneers fan, but uh, actually uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers. Good for you. Fuck Tom Brady. But Tom Brady is like the, the example, right? Like you can't fucking sack a quarterback anymore, right? Exactly. And that's kind of that's kind of how it is for cops. Like you should be able to like you know manhandle and like throw people. You know, like think of the blitz game in the nineties. You could fucking beat the shit out of people, and then they're like, "All right, we're gonna tone it down a little bit." Okay, then you could tackle people, and now you can't even tackle people. And I think in some places the rules of the game have changed so much and there's so much of an advantage i feel like for criminals don't get me wrong the way the system is is set out there's an advantage for the criminals there always has been but it's just so great we're like i understand we're for self-preservation guys are sitting in the parking lot do i agree with it necessarily maybe maybe not depending on their circumstance because i also think that's kind of like a big fuck you to everybody in positions of power like you're letting this shit happen. I mean, like, I, I think if there's, we don't need any more proof. If anybody looks at the crime stats the last two years, all of this shit has been shown. We, we've, there are more dead people because of all the shit that happened in 2020. And also, you know, to kind of like explain my point of view, I'm explaining my point of view from a person that's coming from my level of experience. Now, would I tell a guy that's on probation to go out there and, and do what I do every night? Probably not until you're off of probation because by the numbers game, you know something's going to go sideways, something's going to go south. You've been out there. You know things turn on, the, on, turn on a dime when you're out there. And sometimes we all make bad decisions, you know, and you make one bad decision and you're on CNN International and now that 30-year career you were looking forward to is washed down the toilet. Um, I'm talking from a person with my level of experience and my training and my my ability to make decisions under pressure, which I've done for over 20 years. I try to instill that in these new guys that learn your policy, learn your procedure, know where you're legally, know where you are legally sound, know what you can do, know your stuff, come out with me, We'll go out and I will show you. This is the way that it should be done. This is the way that it should be done within policy and procedure. And if something turns on a dime and we make a decision and that decision is questionable, then I can always base on my training, my experience, this, that, or, you know, or basically I'll, I was the senior officer on scene. I got to throw myself on the sword for it. You know what I mean? Oh, no, um, I, I hear you. It, and you brought up another important point where, I just don't think the new guys are getting the same level of training in the academy and then from FTO. And then beyond that, I think whether we like it or not, there's an obligation for the people on the street to take these rookies that are out of FTO and show them the ropes. Cause it's not a job you can learn in six months or a year. It's you've got to be, you, you have to learn from other people's experiences. You got to learn how other people do things. You got to, see what works what doesn't work but and i just i i think because you have a lot of new experience and you don't have a lot of guys like you on the road still you're you're still you're it's babies learning from babies right unfortunately by attrition right now uh, a lot of our field training officers have about you know two to three years experience 
and they're still learning what it is to be a policeman. You know, when I was a detective for a long time, I was a detective for 10 years. I was a VCD homicide, um, bomb and arson. So I, I, I have that experience also. But when I came back to the road, I saw a deficiency in the training program. So I actually took that position because what's the one thing that we all do? We all bitch about stuff, but kind of nobody really does anything to change it. Does that make sense? Absolutely, so, man. So I took it upon myself to put new guys in my car and to train them up the right way and to do the things that I did with them and to get them the experience that I got them. Um, I work for a metropolitan area here in South Florida. We're very, very busy, um, violent city, uh, a lot of shootings, a lot of, uh, but we have a trauma center. So it kind of minimizes our homicide rate in our city, but um, we're very busy. We're very busy. You're going to get five years experience level in one year in the area that I work in. Um, you're going to be exposed to all that on a weekly basis, if not two to three times a week. You're going to be exposed to that level of crime, uh, in progress, violent incidents. Saul, do you have any thoughts on this discussion? You've been awful quiet over there. I just keep picturing like DeLoreans and pastel t-shirts under sport coats. And that's little- because I with Miami Vice and I'm listening to the music in my head. A little bit north of there, but still basically uh, same kind of area. Was that the right song? I wasn't alive, so I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that was the Miami Vice theme song. Yeah, I wasn't alive, so I'm going to take your word for it. Oh, you're such a pup. I am, and apparently a fucking negative pup. But I, I don't agree or I don't disagree with what the Birdman's saying at all. I mean, I you what you're saying speaks to me because I, I think it's kind of lost as far as, you know, showing people the ropes and learning from people's experiences and things like that. And I just I'm 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 kind of ruined from my experience because I saw a lot of the really good senior people when all this shit started going down. Fucking. Yep, we're done. I'm not doing this shit kind of thing. And I don't blame them at all. And then, you know, things were just so shitty in my city that it just, like I said earlier, I admitted that, you know, all the outside noise really negatively affected me in my career. And so it's, I, I'm not saying I disagree with anything you're saying, because I, I think it all is all good. I mean, I, I think honestly, sometimes when I, when I, I speak, it's like half the audience kind of understands exactly what I'm saying. And the other half doesn't, because a lot of people don't, don't experience at least to the same degree, like a lot of the same shit. There's guys all over the country that are still fucking doing cowboy shit, fucking taking people to jail, protecting their communities. And they're not dealing with this like crazy outside influence of like, well, you guys are being mean to shit bags. You know, you also got to understand. I learned a long time ago that basically you can put your hands on people. And if it's, Sir, give me your hands. Sir, put your hands behind your back. Sir, stop resisting. Sir, why are you fighting me? Okay? The video is going to look a lot better than, motherfucker, give me those hands. Motherfucker, I'm going to kick your ass. Okay? It's the presentation. A lot of it is the presentation. 
it's still going down the same road. It's still doing the same thing, but it's the presentation of it. And if you can learn through training and experience that everything is sir or ma'am, ma'am, please stop fighting me. Ma'am, please put your hands behind your back. Ma'am, don't make me tase you. Ma'am, don't make me do this. Sir, don't make me do this. It's a training and it's a mindset and it's something that has to be instilled in you because the agency that I work for, you will get written up for foul language during a control. That's 100%. What if there was a, you get punched and he's like, if you're like, oh, fuck, would you get written up for that? No, you're fine. I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, the mother, mother effing people calling them names. And the biggest thing is talking smack once the cuffs go on. I learned a long time ago and I tried to teach it to all my trainees. Cuffs go on, game's over. Game's over. Once those cuffs are ratcheted on both hands, game's over. No more talking smack. No more run your, you know, it's, that to me is, and trust me, I am guilty of it as every other person that's been out there is. I'm just as guilty of it. But I learn through time that it's just not, it, it, it kind of really doesn't accomplish anything. And to me, it's like you said, it's the game. Once the game is over, once that final buzzer rings and both of those cuffs are ratcheted down, and I know that I'm going to probably get a lot of hate mail probably for this, or you will for me saying this, but I learned that once those cuffs are on, that game buzzers are over and the game's done. At that point, he's in cuffs, he's in custody, he's going in the back of the car. It's done. Let him run his gator. Let him, you know, let him talk smack. Let him do whatever he has to do. But at that point, be the professional that we're paid to be. You know what I mean? And it's very hard. And it's kind of like that mindset. But I don't know. That's just, this is all my point of view. This is just no, from me. I, actually, I don't. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I don't remember where I said this. It might have been in a, I don't know, a couple of podcasts ago, but I, I kind of made the point that, you know, I'll make memes. And obviously I make memes. They're jokes. It's satire, right? Some of it, you know, is a little truth. I mean, a lot of truth kind of sprinkled in there, but like I'll do stuff that's obviously like way overboard that you would never do on the street. And guys will be like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's awesome. And you kind of look at their profile and you look at them and you're like, I think he actually does this. Like, yeah. this is not this is not what we do here. And it's frustrating to me that people don't get that. Don't get me wrong. Like, like you said, like, I've said some shit to people I shouldn't have fucking said. I lost my cool. I'm not perfect. Shit happens. Right. But I, I think people take the game way too fucking far where, you know, you're a cop, you're a guy in a fucking hat and a tie. If you're I mean, you should be. And a badge and you're fucking representing your community and your motherfucking people. And there is I a time agree. and a place. There is a time and a place, but I think people get that confused. That is not the only time. Like I hear this thing all the time and I don't necessarily agree, disagree with the logic of, well, you know, certain in certain areas and certain communities, like that's how people talk. And so people aren't going to fucking, you know, if you come in there, all prim and proper, you may not get, what works for somebody might not work for somebody else kind of thing. I, I subscribe to that, but there's also a fucking line to that too. You know, where I think yeah. people just kind of take that shit too far and then they wonder why they get in trouble. And it's like, dude, you didn't just say fuck during a use of force. You like said all this horrendous shit. Like that's, you're supposed to be the cop. You're supposed to take the high road. Kind of like the same thing with 
if you you know enforce the law, you better fucking follow policy, even if you disagree with it, because that's that's how it is, you know. So I I don't disagree honestly with anything you just said. And the one thing that I really would try to pound in my rookie's head, and a couple of your couple podcasts back, I think you had a couple guys on, and one of the guys you had on with you said something that really kind of it really you know kind of resonated with me. Um, I was one of those guys that told my rookies, you are going to get sick of hearing my voice because I'm going to talk for the next four weeks so much and try to impress so much on you because I only have you for 16 days. You know, I'm going to try to give you that information dump of 20 of 20 plus years, 22 years of experience in 16 days. And it's almost impossible. So I never stopped talking. But my biggest thing was, is I was like, listen, guys. This keeps a roof over your head. This keeps your electric on, keeps food on your table, and it keeps clothes on your back. This is your J-O-B. This is not personal. These guys that talk smack to you, do they live next door to you? They like, they like hang out with you on the weekends? They don't. You're going to go home to your house. They're going to go back into wherever they're going to go into, and it's going to be over. That's what you really have to understand is it's, this is not personal. This is business. And you have to operate yourself as this is a business. This is what pays your bills. And once you start taking this personally and you start going down that road, because some guy's getting in your face calling you everything but a man, he doesn't know you. He doesn't know who you are. He doesn't. He sees that police badge and that big white police sticker across your tack vest. And that's what he's talking smack to, not the person behind it feel like i may have told this story in the past but i i don't remember but i'll tell it again because i think it's relevant when i was a brand new cop i pride myself for the most part on being level-headed not always but there was a call when i was a rookie and it was just a really stupid call as you know family dispute kind of thing and you know the, as i recall the guy wanted his kid charged with assault and like the, the kid was a big kid, but this guy was a big guy, and they're basically fucking fighting. Like it, it's like WT type stuff. Can I say white trash? I can. I can say white trash because I'm white trash. It's not. That's not a. Uh, we. I think the the memo came down that we refer to those as whiskey tangos now. Okay, whiskey tangos. So is like whiskey tango stuff, right? Like trailer park boy shit. So I told the dude, you know, I was like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, write this up, send it to the detectives. I'm not taking your kid to jail right now. Just based on everything that was going on. I, it was a long time. I don't remember all the details. As I'm walking out, he starts yelling about how, like, he hopes my kids and my wife get raped and all this shit and they get murdered. I turned around. I remember taking my baton out and walking towards the house. And a senior guy was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not doing this. And... I don't know what ha what happened if he wasn't there, but clearly I was in the wrong. Like, there's no defending that. Like, yes, that dude is saying horrendous shit. And yes, in theory, that dude deserves his skull beaten in because he's a piece of filth. But that's not who I am, and that's not what the job is. And I took it personal. And that was a, a lesson to young Lenny, the police officer. This shit's going to happen. You just have to deal with it. And from that point on, I can't remember another time where somebody really got under my skin because I, I, it was honestly kind of concerning to me that I reacted in that way. Like, fuck, man, like I got to be, 
I got to have my head on out here. So I hope, you know, everybody listening out here, a young cop, like, don't, don't fucking do that shit, man. Cause especially now there's body cameras and shit. Just you turning around, taking your baton out, you're probably going to get fired for, you know? Yeah. And listen, like I said, and I hate to just rehash this over and over. It, it took me years to realize that. And, you know, one of those older cops, when I was a younger cop, similar scenario, guy was, you know, really talking a lot of shit. And I turn around to go back at him. And, you know, senior cop grabbed me by the back of the vest and pulled me away. And he looked at me and he said, hey, listen, man, you got 30 years of this. He goes, that guy is going to step on his dick sometime during the 30 years. And you're going to be able to put your hands on him. He's out here every day. He never leaves here. This is what he does. Okay. So wait, time, patience. And if you, even if you never get him over 30 years, who cares? You know, that guy doesn't pay your bills. He doesn't feed your family. You know, who cares? Who cares what he says? He's going to crawl back into his 150 degree apartment in his rat hole area and you're going to go home and you're going to sleep well and you're going to lose 0.002 seconds of sleep over this tonight because who cares? You know, it, it just, it is what it is. It's, it's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. I hope I'm not sounding like, you know, I'm walking on water over here. You know, I'm just trying to like, you know, get my personal viewpoint. <laughs> no, out man. Oh, well, that's what I was going to say is I think if, if there's any lesson out of this besides the weird shit we're going to talk about later is it doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. Don't let it affect you. And I think maybe that's something reflecting on the last couple of years with law enforcement. I mean, I guess it's it's kind of unfair to say like, oh, you can't let all that stuff that, you know, everybody on earth is saying about you affect you. I don't think that's realistic, but I think we need to kind of get back to that. Like, look, I, I make jokes and, and I don't know if it's actually true. The silent majority, I'm on the fence if they actually exist, but there are good people that want law enforcement. Remember why you're there. You know why you're there. You know why you signed up. Don't fucking worry about all the noise. The The shit on the outside is not important. Don't fucking let it affect you negatively. Let me ask you this, Birdman. Yeah. Why did you get into law enforcement? Well, my father was a policeman. Um, and I went down the, uh, the firefighter route for a couple of years before I was a cop. And... Decided I always wanted to be a policeman. It was what I always wanted to be since I was a kid. I blame it a lot on Dirty Harry and RoboCop. That'll age me. But, uh, you know, I just always wanted to do it. And, you know, I I hate being like cliche, but they said that, you know, if you're doing what you love, you're never going to work a day in your life. And I, I've loved everything I've done for the last 22 years. And it's going to be hard for me to walk away. But. It's going to be time. Man, guys know his limitations. Exactly. <laughs> I actually do remember the Dirty Harry movies, just so you know. I don't remember a lot about them, but I remember my dad cleaning his gun and watching Dirty Harry. <laughs> they were great I mean, movies. They were, and Westerns, too. Fucking, um, all, really, a lot of cleaning sweat, to be honest with you, was going on during gun cleaning time, which I think is appropriate. Did your dad have a chaw in while he was doing it? No. That would have been amazing. No, I don't think the I don't I don't think the man you know what actually 
we cigars. I've seen him smoke a cigar, but like very, very, very rarely. No, uh, no cigarettes, no tobacco. The man's a saint. What do you think has been the biggest change that you've seen over your 22 year career for law enforcement? Losing all the experience to attrition and having those guys around to train me. I feel that I was very fortunate. And I was very fortunate to catch those guys at the end of their career and kind of sponge all that experience from them and get to work side by side with them. Uh, I've had a really, really good career. Um, I've only had a little bit over five years of patrol in my 22 years. So I did a lot of my time in specialized units, uh, really, really heavy on investigations, uh, narcotics and detective bureau. So I've always been very fortunate. I did some time in community policing also, but uh, I've been very fortunate to have good people that brought me up the right way and trained me. And I think that with all the attrition and everybody leaving and all the older guys being in specialized units, you kind of lost that in patrol. You kind of lost that experience and that shoulder to lean on and that leadership out there. And, uh, that's probably the biggest change I've seen that. And, um, and I hate to bust on the millennials and everything. It's just, just do it. Just do it. Oh, I hate to do it because I work with a lot of millennials. Now I'm old enough to be their dad. And it's kind of sad. A lot of them have that. Everything has to be instantaneous. Everything's a Google search. Everything has to be right now. And, you know, why don't I have a new car? Why don't I get this? Why don't I get that? Why am I not on a specialized unit? I've been here 14 months. You know, I just got off probation. I should be working vice narcotics. And I come from a time where you didn't even put in it for a specialized unit until you, unless you were drafted uh, for three to five years. You know, you got guys that have just the bare minimum amount of time on now and they haven't really figured out how to be a policeman and they're putting in to take the sergeant's test. Yeah, it's yes. that is something yes. that oh, that's bad. It's not bad. It sounds super paranormal. It does. <laughs> It'll be awesome in like thirty minutes. But... <laughs> oh, um, I have a lot of stories of actually taking the guys on duty with me to do uh, ghost hunts. So when we get to that, you'll you'll enjoy. It. Okay, I, I guess, I'm kind of surprised. Because I think there's this perception outside of Florida that uh, Daddy DeSantis, which is weird to say that out loud. Free state of Florida, baby. I kind of hate myself for saying Daddy DeSantis. But there's this perception that, you know, Florida is this mecca for law enforcement and a lot of people left for Florida. But you're saying there's a lot of attrition. So people are leaving in droves in Florida, too. No, the attrition came actually, you remember we had that big crack boom back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, the police department super beefed up their agencies from 85 to like 92 to combat the crack epidemic. And you lost all those guys if they did the 30 years from 2015 forward. You know, and during that okay, time. Okay, so it wasn't like, oh my God. Do you have like headphones or anything? That might help. Yeah, um, I have a uh, what are they called? I have those Bose headphones. I think I can go. I just have to figure out. Listen, I'm like the least tech savvy person that you will ever meet. So I would have to actually figure out how to Bluetooth them to my laptop. But uh, yeah, I can do that. 
Yeah, let's, let's give it a shot and see if it's a little bit better because the feedback's pretty rough. This is the first audio issue that's not my fault. Yeah, it's usually all of your fault, but you're doing – it's not – are you up in the Rocky Mountains today? No, I'm down in the flats. The flats, the flatlands. How in the fuck am I going to learn how to Bluetooth this to my head, to my fucking laptop? So is when you turn your the Bose thing on, if you go to, like, the settings of your laptop, yeah, I, I – there should be like right when you open up the settings, I would assume you could see a, a little bar Bluetooth and other device settings. Yep, there we go. This is like when I had to show my parents how to set their VCR. <laughs> now I have to keep this in because that was a good joke. Good joke can't go wasted, dude. I don't even have a Blu ray player. Did those pass by? Are those still a thing? We still, I just use my Xbox. You have an Xbox. My wife got me one like five years ago for Christmas, and I grew up playing Super Mario Brothers where there were like four buttons. I can't figure out this using your thumbs and your index and middle finger shit. You young people are insane. You must. Be so I haven't played a video game in like four years. All right, my headphones are on. How is that? Is that better? Way better. All right, where was I? The Okay, so you were talking about your rash, I believe. That was it. That was yep. the rash. Um, so I should see a doctor, right? Or get some ointment. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, usually baby powder does the trick, but maybe I'm not using enough. I don't know. You saw that video I sent you, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> baby powder? The thousand pound woman that was lifting up her gun oh, and just God. like dumping the whole bottle of baby powder all over. You know, I not to I guess we're gonna switch gears to fat shaming, but I it always makes me feel better when I see people fatter than me. So thanks for that. I'm a giver. I know. And also the little spoon. Um I think we were talking about the crack epidemic in like the infusion of cops and when you brought that up, that does make sense because I remember talking to some old timers at my agency when I first started and they were like, yeah, there's going to be a shitload of us retiring soon. So that's going to be a problem. But at least in my agency, it seemed like we kept up with it until, you know, all the shit happened in 2020 and then like, you know, a ton of people left. So you guys have been just kind of dealing with it because of that like no other reason i mean you guys you guys still getting a lot of applicants and stuff uh you know when the economy's good unfortunately here uh everybody does everything else and when the economy takes a downturn it's when everybody goes back to being law enforcement firefighters stuff like that because you know we pay pretty good where i'm at uh but there's a lot of agencies still here up in northern central florida that you're not going to make the level of money that you'll make down here. Speaking of Florida, how do you fare with a hurricane? We were actually out of the cone of death with this last one. So I'm uh, more on the East Coast down south. That's the total other opposite side of the state that actually got hit. From the guys that I know that are actually going over there, they're saying it was every bit as bad as you've seen on TV, if not worse. Uh, they had a, a lot of guys are still going over there every weekend volunteering their time just helping out uh it, it it was it was really bad 
but where I'm at, we did not we did not get hit. In. It's weird to me because there's always this like constant, or it seems like a constant fear. Like basically every year, you're kind of rolling the dice that a huge hurricane doesn't hit the state, and it based on where the state is, like there there's nowhere in Florida safe from hurricanes, right? Like you're susceptible to it anywhere. It is definitely the uh, dangling penis of the United States that gets douched all the time. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that could be the name of the part. podcast. Florida is a dangling penis. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest; it kind of does look like America's dong. I, but, you know, it would surprise me. Uh, and this is a good—that's what she said. Is Florida is a lot bigger than I thought? Like, I know it's a bigger state, but I was—I uh, there may be a poorly made trip to Florida at some point in the next couple of years, and so I was kind of looking at well, stuff. If you're thinking about driving. Uh, Jacksonville to Key West, you're looking at 12 hours. It surprised me. Is that, it just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't seem that big. That's what she said. I, I would, I guess I would just imagine like, you know, maybe six hours across the state, but I guess not, huh? Uh, Side to side, depending on where you're at, where I'm at, you're about, uh, right about two hours side to side, um, east to west. North to south, um, let's just say Homestead to Jayville to Jacksonville is about eight. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, because I was looking at how far the drive was, and my wife's like, it's that far? And I was like, well, yeah, because I was looking to here. And she's like, oh, no, we would be going here. And I was like, oh, shit. And it was a, like, you know, hours and hours of difference. So that is, it's, I don't know, I guess the more you know for the folks that don't live there. Yeah, I think it just it should be a highway that runs down the dead center of Florida South, and they should call it the Urethra Highway. That would be amazing. That's yeah. well, the fucking Everglades, bro. You can't do that. And you're also <laughs> going to run into Lake Okeechobee about halfway down. A, you guys are ruining my dream, and B, the Everglades could be what comes out of the Urethra. I need you to stay up thinking with me there, Lenny. You had me at Urethra. It's the milk sneeze of Florida is what that is. I really should have made t-shirts on the milk sneeze thing. I don't know how you haven't. Or a mug. It would be perfect for a nice frothy hot chocolate. I I feel like I'm, I mean, pretty much it was a rip off of South Park. I think I drunkenly pushed a button and it happened to play Jimmy or Butters talking. It was Butters talking about milk sneezes. So, I mean, it's really their joke. I think I would owe Trey Parker and Matt Stone some royalties there. They're doing fine since they took over Casa Bonita. It's going to be all right. Has it opened yet? No. Hopefully hopefully by December. I'm going to get some Casa Bonita. I need some fucking sopapillas, man. Hopefully anyway. they keep the flags. Sorry. No, it's okay. This isn't about us and sopapillas. This is about Birdman. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy Brad Williams over at Police Fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years' experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. Let's talk about the paranormal stuff. Where did that all come from? How did you get into that? 
I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania in a house that was built uh, right at the turn of 1800s, 1900s, and uh, was a doctor's office and dentist office that was converted into a home, and it was haunted, and had my first experience when I was right around six or seven years of age, and my dad was a cop, and, you know, my dad basically told me that, you know, they're not going to hurt you. They were here before us. We share our house with them. And, you know, trying to normalize it for a young child. And, uh, you know, it kind of went from there. So when you said your house was haunted up in Pennsylvania, like what what did you see? What did you hear? Like, what, what kind of stuff? Uh, my first experience was uh, your standard six foot, seven foot tall, thin shadow figure. I was sleeping. It was the middle of the night. I heard somebody walking down the hallway. I got up. And when I exited my, my room, I saw the shadow figure standing in front of my parents' doorway. You sure you don't and, have like a weird uncle? Um, he was actually still in the room at the time, so I knew it wasn't him. But uh yeah, uh I you know, one of those breathless screams you're trying to scream and it's just not coming out. My dad came out of the room and I, you know, I told him that I saw a man standing there and he had told me, you know, hey listen, you know, this is our house. These things were here before us. They're not gonna hurt you. And if you, you know, we share our house with them and he kind of normalized it for me. So, I mean, but yeah, just your standard haunting things, um, footsteps, doors opening and closing stuff, moving cabinets, opening, closing, not, you know, you leave the house, come back, the cabinets would be open or closed. Uh, if they were left open, they would be closed, uh, doors unlocked and opened. just your standard haunting, just basic standard haunting. You know, now, when you say a standard haunting, like I, I've never been haunted, so I don't know what a standard haunting is. It's like when you go to buy a car, like, you know, like what, what's standard, what comes with it? Like, you know, there are other hauntings you get like, you know, jerked off a little bit, <laughs> that kind of weird shit. Like what, what well, comes with an ex, what comes with the deluxe haunting? All right. I, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. I, I tell this to everybody that I take out to do this. I'm I'm not here to change anybody's mind if they believe it or not. Uh, I'm just going to tell you about stuff that I've seen that I can't explain over the you know ten plus years that I've been doing it. Uh, there's three different types of hauntings. You have your basically your intelligent haunting, which is a haunting that you can actually interact with as an investigator. That's an intelligent entity where you can actually ask a question. It'll touch a piece of equipment. It'll knock on the wall. It will you know, do electronic voice phenomena. That's an intelligent haunting. You have a residual haunting, which is energy that is trapped in time. That's the lady in white that walks down the stairs every Wednesday at 3 a.m. You can set your watch by it. You're going to see the lady in white walking down the hallway at 3 a.m. or on whatever specific date because that energy was trapped in time. Kind of replaces itself over and over like a DVD, if that makes sense. Okay. And then the third type of haunting would be an object haunting. Uh, Uncle Charlie came home and sat in his Barca lounger every night after he came up, after he came home from work. And that's where he unwound and he took his shoes off and he drank his beer and he watched the nightly news. And then he went upstairs to take a shower. Uh, Uncle Charlie passes away. There's an estate sale. That Barca lounger gets sold. You go to your local world thrift or, you know, whatever uh, outlet store or thrift store that you have in your area. You buy this Barca lounger, it's still in good shape. It's leather. It's nice. You throw it in your house. I'm you never don't buying believe... furniture at Goodwill ever again. Oh, watches, jewelry, furniture, 
antiques, clocks, um, anything that somebody could be really attached to in their lifetime. Um, you come out in the middle of the night, and actually this is probably the number one call for, more, for most paranormal investigators is, I don't believe in ghosts. I came out of my room, and I see this guy sitting in my chair. I confront him. He disappears. I thought I was dreaming. It happened to me two or three times since then. So Uncle Charlie was attached to that Barker lounger. That was his favorite thing in life. Uncle Charlie's kind of attached to that piece of furniture. So you're going to see Uncle Charlie's entity sitting in that furniture, um, you know, and that's, you have to figure out that, you know, and the big, easiest way that I would tell people is, hey, that chair that you have, did you just purchase that? Yeah, I bought it at the uh, Salvation Army. Okay, do me a favor. Go over and stick it in your neighbor's garage and call me back in a week. And then they would go stick it in their neighbor's garage. They would call me back in three days and go, hey, now that guy's in my neighbor's garage. Yeah, well, you need to uh, get rid of that Barco lounger. That's your problem. But I mean, but what about Uncle Charlie, man? What, what happens when you get rid of the chair? Well, what I would recommend people do is if they do have a haunted object and they have somebody come out and investigate it or they actually figure it out. There's a lot of local teams and I don't want to jump too much far ahead because I'm sure we'll be talking about, you know, paranormal investigators and a lot of people that don't have a lot of experience and come out and do things that they shouldn't be doing. They'll just tell you to go throw it in the, the trash pile. There's a lot of people that actually collect haunted objects. There are people that actually house haunted objects. There are teams that haunt that house haunted objects and do long-term paranormal investigations on haunted objects. So it's up to you if you believe in that stuff and you believe in the energy and you believe in the, you know, the paranormal, you would want that entity, if that was you that was attached to that object, to not just be thrown in a dump somewhere because you're attached to that object for whatever reason. Make sense? No, yeah, that, that <clears throat> makes sense. Now, I wanted to let, – let's jump back a little bit. Okay. So how long did you live in that house in Pennsylvania? We moved to, we moved to Florida in 1989. So uh, from the time I was pretty much born till till 1989, so about 13 years. And the whole 13 years, the all the paranormal stuff, did it ever stop? Or the whole 13 years, it was just kind of you saw that dude? It, uh, I had never seen him since then. That was the only time I ever saw that, that shadow figure right in the middle of the hallway. I saw it one time. Now you're going to see, I saw things out of the corner of my eye. I heard people walking upstairs, up and down the stairs while we were sitting there. But I never saw that that shadow figure ever after that day. You had the experience as a, as a, a small child. And then when did this, uh, is it a hobby or like what's the, the paranormal investigator? Like, is that, how do you get into that kind of thing? I wanted answers. And what do we do when we want answers, especially as cops? You got to go out and you got to find it. Um. I wanted answers. I wanted the answers. Why I wanted to know why this happens. Um, and unfortunately the entire time I've been doing it, the only thing it's ever done is brought more questions. I've never really gotten any concrete answers. And with my investigative experience and my investigative background, it, it kind of went hand in hand, just wanting those answers. So. Did you have any paranormal experiences between the time you were, what you said you were like five or six, right? The first time when that happened. Yeah. Okay, between then and then before you got into the investigative type stuff. I mean, like, I, I presume that experience when you were little, like, really stuck with you. Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. But yeah, uh, I did. I've had, you know, some other head scratchers, you know, some other things that are like, 
how, did that did I really just see that or did I you know really just hear that had multiple on duty experiences um, but personal experiences yeah in my late teens I had an experience um, basically saw a full body apparition and it kind of disappeared in front of all of us uh, we weren't drinking we weren't imbibing in anything else and we saw this guy and he just kind of disappeared in front of us. We're, you know, hanging out in the woods doing our thing. And, and it just, uh, we saw it and it kind of rekindled my interest in it. And I started really getting a little bit more heavily involved in it during my late teen years. But as far as full blown investigating, um, that's been the last little over 10 years, 10 to 13 years. Is there a place you go to get educated on how to investigate that type of stuff? You do it from people with experience. And I started uh, going out and investigating with people with experience and learning from them and learning the right way to do it. Um, unfortunately, and this is kind of my, my personal tangent, especially with paranormal investigation, uh, you're going to find a lot of guys, you know, it's four guys in black t-shirts that are ghost, ghost chasers, whatever, whatever city that they're from. And they've watched six YouTube videos and four seasons of paranormal lockdown. And all of a sudden they're out representing themselves as a professional paranormal investigation team. And the way that I look at it is this, you're a person that's in need. You, you have a young family, you have children and you just moved into this house. Let's say you use your life savings to move into this house and the house is haunted and your kids are having experiences and you're having experiences and your children are afraid to sleep in their room because of what's going on. And someone comes to you for help. So you look up four guys in black t-shirt, ghost chasers, St. Louis, right? And these four guys come out because the only thing that they're interested in is making their YouTube video and catching evidence. They're not interested in helping you or your family with what's going on in your house and helping you accept it and live with it, or maybe helping you, move whatever entity is in your house on through other means. Um, so you can actually live your life in your house. So they come out, they set up all their gear that they bought on ghost stop or whatever website that they can buy gear from eBay. And they start getting a lot of interaction and they start getting a lot of hits and they turn around and they tell you, Oh, well, we got a growl on our EVPs and it was actually one of the guys on the team's stomach growling and it wasn't an entity. And they're going to tell you, well, this is a, uh, a nasty spirit because that's what Zach Baggins would say. And uh, you guys got a demon in your house and we can't help you. Can you imagine as a homeowner and as somebody who actually sought help from someone came to your house and tell you that you have a negative entity in your house and you can't afford to move and you can't afford to sell the house and you can't afford to help your children? How is that going to affect you psychologically? You know? Now, as a professional, what do you do about a negative entity in a house? Um, you actually seek help through people that are qualified to do that. Um, there's a lot of mediums that are out there. And trust me, there's a lot of garbage out there with the paranormal field. There's a lot of people out there misrepresenting themselves. And there's a lot of people out there representing themselves as something that they're not. Um, but if you work with a medium and that medium time and time again, is 100% correct with no prior knowledge, no prior information, no prior anything. And you've actually vetted that person and that you would actually have them help them. And most people that are helping people and helping families, they're not charging you for anything. 
they're coming out there and helping you. They're making their money through other things. And they're doing this in their path and because they want to help people. They're not doing it to capture the evidence. They're not doing it to, you know, get that million dollar piece of evidence on YouTube. They're doing it because they want to help people. And this is their passion. This is their pastime. This is their, you know, this is what they love to do. So they're actually doing it in their off time and they're helping people. Saul, what got you into the ghost stuff? Because you've done some of the the hunting, right? Yeah, we I kind of have a different take on it, only that you know, being a lawyer forever and then doing cop stuff and everything else, I like the to me the world's more interesting if it has Bigfoot and UFOs and paranormal stuff in it. I find it just to be kind of a fun break from the day to day. So how I got initially introduced is I would ride my motorcycle cross country and I had an app on my phone that was like offbeat locations and things of that nature. One of my undergraduate degrees is in history. I've always enjoyed history. And I think part of this for people out there, and I'll be curious if Birdman agrees with this. If you look for like the right ghost tours or things like that, or fun things that you can do, one of the really neat things is you can see a lot of old historic buildings with a cool history. And generally you get to go into places on those tours that the regular public doesn't get to go. And it's really just neat to see um, things like that. So the first one I ever did was my wife and I, I rode my motorcycle across the country. And one of the stops was in Louisville, Kentucky. And I went to the, I booked the Waverly Hills Sanitarium. Phenomenal location. Yeah, it was really cool. But my wife didn't want to sit on the motorcycle, but she was like, oh, hell yeah, I want to do that. So she flew out and met me there. And we did, you have to book it months in advance. It fills up. I don't know if they're still, Birdman, do you know if they're still doing those tours? Yeah, they're still running Waverly Hills. So the cool thing was we signed up and you could do a guided tour with a group. And people people watching during those guided tours is hilarious because my wife and I would sit there in the back with the tour guides and make fun of the other people freaking out anytime somebody sneezed. But we did a guided tour for two hours just so we could get the lay of the building. And then you could sign up just for a general all-night ghost hunt. So I'm trying to remember. I think from midnight until 4 a.m., there are four floors. And they would just take you to each floor and be like, all right, you guys get the floor for an hour. And then after an hour, you would rotate. So you get to walk around this historic sanitarium without anybody bothering you. You can check everything out. And it's just a really unique cool piece of history we got to walk down the body shoots and look at the morgue and do all that stuff we had some really interesting stuff that happened there that when we got back to our hotel at the end of the night my wife is very practical so am i we just looked at each other and we're like can't fucking explain what just happened and then we went to bed so um we've done waverly hills the sally house in atchison kansas was pretty cool phenomenal Um, location saint james hotel in cimarron new mexico is a really cool place with 24 bullet holes that are still in the bar ceiling and it's just this really neat period correct building that i think wyatt earp has stayed there billy the kid stayed there and a bunch of other people um so it's just 
cool historically it doesn't have ac it doesn't have phones or tvs it's just a cool neat historic building we rented talking to lenny about this a year or two ago we rented and stayed the night at the uh the axe murder house in Baliska. i actually um, just came back from there shut I was just up actually fuck a- up Baliska is like not like next door to me, but I mean, Iowa's not the big of a state. You know, I've seen the signs for like the Axe Murder House and stuff like that. You want to, I, I know that Saul's been up that way. I, what what was your experience there, Birdman? Uh, I went there. I was, did a solo investigation and. Uh, what, will I, you do me a favor before you get into it? Give yeah. people, most people might not know the history of that house. And I think it might be a cool setup to let them know. You know what? This is just like me introducing my wife at parties. I'm just like, oh, hey, we're here instead of like introducing her. So my understanding of the Axe Murder House is, you know what? Maybe you guys know it better before I don't fuck it up. Yeah, there were uh, eight people murdered inside the house. Uh, They believe it was a serial killer that may have been traveling the rails, uh, traveling, you know, the railways at that time. Uh, Basically, not to go into like all the details because I'm kind of fuzzy on all the details, but the killer actually stayed inside the house in the attic of the house. And after everyone went to sleep, he came down and he murdered six children and two adults in their beds. And the house has a reputation of having some paranormal activity. It's one of those bucket list destinations for investigators. It's one of those well-known houses. And uh, I went out to Iowa to investigate that and to investigate over in Malvern Manor. And the murders happened in 1912, just for everybody's edification. So the murderer is probably dead at this point. But if he's not, I'd be impressed. Yes. But yeah, go go get on Wikipedia and you can look it up. It's, it's really interesting. So what, what was your experience up there? Like I said, I was doing a solo investigation. I went in there. I set up my gear. Um, uh, Johnny Hauser is the guy who's actually there at the house. He took me through the house, you know, showed me all the locations, showed me the attic, all the beds, described everything that had happened in the house. And he kind of like said, all right, man, have a good time. You have my phone number if you need anything and left. And I was in the house by myself. Being an investigator for a long time, uh, you tend to feel when energy is shifting at a location. Uh, my experiences inside the house were I went inside of there with an investigation game plan that I was going to let them let them let the spirits of the residents know that I was a homicide investigator and I was here to basically solve their homicide since it had gone unsolved. And uh, that was my angle of my investigation, the questions that I was asking, trying to get interaction from the house. And upstairs, I started hearing some loud banging, something walking back and forth upstairs. And I started feeling the energy in the house shifting, getting real heavy, real negative. And being by myself, I'm not going to play with that. Uh, If I had a team with me, I would, but I'm not going to play with that by myself. And at that point... Oh, homie, we will go with you. Speak for yourself, brother. (laughs) I fucking go with (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there and I started playing music, you know, turn of the century music, uh, trying to get the kids to come out and have a dance party, the children from the back bedroom in the parlor where the piano is. And my phone shut completely off powered all the way down because i'm like you know come on out kids let's have some fun let's talk let's you know i find in my investigations i use a lot of music um that's one thing that i've found that's really attached 
a lot of people together is music. So in the afterlife, I'm sure that we would all enjoy music also. So I play music. I play music on my phone. I, I try to interact with the entities on a personal level to get them to come out to talk to me. Because again, you're in someone else's house. You're a guest, you know, and that's, I'm getting off track and I'm going to end up going off on a tangent on that. But, uh, Basically, that's the way that I connect with the entities in the house. And when I was playing this music and trying to get the children to come out, whatever was in that house did not want me to speak to the children and like shut my phone off, completely off, all the way down. And my phone does not do that. That's not standard for my phone. Is it so when I turn, it is, it's an iPhone. That's your problem. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, after I turn my phone back on, I started challenging whatever turned my phone off. I'm like, if you don't want me to talk to the children, come down here and talk to me yourself. Come down and turn my phone off again. Come do this. Come down, come down. I am not one of those people that provokes entities. I don't do that. I don't believe that that's something that you should do because I like to treat them as people and have conversations. And if they want to be negative and they want to have negative conversations, we can do that. But I'm not going to provoke them into a negative encounter. Um, so I started doing that and I started feeling the energy shifting in the house and the house started getting colder and I have all my gear out and I'm watching the temperature drop, you know, five, six, eight, nine degrees. So all that to me is something is gathering energy in the house. It's taking the heat out of the air to gather energy, to do something. And at that point I was like, you know what? There's a lot of investigators that have been, you know, punched in the face in that house that have been scratched that have been, you know, allegedly they've claimed that this has happened to them. That's not what I'm about. I'm about positive interaction and positive investigations. So I kind of shut all my gear down and back myself out of the house and called it a night. I have a lot of questions, but Saul, what was your experience there? So the really cool thing about that house is you can rent it for the night. And I think you get one price for up to six people, but my wife and I just rented it ourselves and went out there and we had read several books on it. We listened to several podcasts. So for me, from the history standpoint, it's just really interesting to read all of that stuff and then actually stand in the space and be able to walk through it and, think about the different theories of how the homicides happened and see whether or not it made sense. Cause it's a really small house. It's not large by any stretch. Also it's kind of a fun, shameless plug because Felisca, Iowa is a tiny town. I think the population is 1200 people. And while we were waiting for it to get dark, we went and walked around the old downtown area and that's not a town I would ever go see or experience, but for this. So it's kind of fun just to do that ancillary stuff as well. But we set up in there. My wife and I have stayed at the Stanley several times and gone to other places. We might just be lame. We have never, whatever that sense is, I don't have it. So we've never had any weird vibes or feelings anywhere. We had really cool experiences at... Um, Waverly Hills that were interesting and different. But at the Velisca Axmer house, we got zero weird feelings at all. The night we were there, there was zero activity. We at about two or three in the morning, having worked graveyards before, when I hit two or three in the morning, if I don't have to be awake, I don't want to be. 
So rather than sleeping, it's a very musty kind of house. I don't know if you would agree with that, Birdman. There's not a lot of airflow in there. No, there's uh, absolutely no power in there uh, other yeah. than the external power to the two window shakers that are downstairs and upstairs. So the house had been refurbished, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, somebody had updated it, put power and everything in, but the new owners actually took it back to where it was at the time of the murder. So that is correct. There's no power in there or anything else. There's a side building with an office, and they're super chill. So if you rent the place, you go in, and what was that gentleman's name you mentioned? Johnny Hauser. Yeah, he was a super cool dude. Um, I asked him if Zach Bagans was a douchebag, and I don't think he trusted me enough to tell me. Um, but he was super cool. And they basically just give you the keys and are like, here you go. So um, we just didn't feel like staying the entire night. So we left at about two or three, but we did not have any weird feelings or weird experiences at all in any way, shape or form. But that's kind of how those things go. We, Waverly Hills, we definitely had stuff. And then the night before we got married by Elvis, we did an all-night ghost hunt at the Pioneer Saloon outside of Vegas, which is also a really cool place to go to. They have phenomenal um, burgers there. I just actually came back from there. We must be twinsies. So <laughs> um, we didn't get to eat there, but they were feeding us fireball all night. And one of the people we were with told one of the tour guides that I was an attorney and I wish they hadn't because she didn't shut up about OJ Simpson for the next <laughs> six fucking hours. Of Bro, giving you me need every... to go find, he needs to go find Nicole and get the fucking truth. Although I think we all know that. Oh, uh, that's, that's horrible. That's horrible. That's like somebody diving you out that you're a cop when you're sitting there having drinks. Yeah. I was like, dude, why did you tell? Cause I always, I avoid try to avoid it as much as possible, but she was hilarious. They were a fun group of people. They were feeding us fireball shots all night. We had some cool experiences there, but in the Velisca house, nothing, but historically it was very cool and we enjoyed the town. So that's part of why I like going to those different places. It's just cool to see different stuff. Can I give a shout out to Velisca? One time I stopped there and took a terrible dump at the Casey's. And I know that because you fucking texted me because I told you we went there. <laughs> I and forgot he's about like, that. I did. Yeah, he's like, I'm taking a shit in Velisca. <laughs> I'm a fucking child. Um, For you guys that are from Iowa, is it Iowa law that everything has to be 45 minutes away from the other place? No. There's such, because <laughs> I don't know. It's You know what? That's actually true. Like, there's little map dots everywhere. But the places that have a gas station or a grocery store, like it's like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, because I was actually staying in downtown Malvern and I had to run out, you know, I'm staying in an Airbnb in Malvern. I think I think it's a Casey's in Malvern. It's a gas station that it's like, you know, like a little convenience store that makes sandwiches and chicken. Fantastic, by the way. Yes. I basically had to run over to Walmart. Walmart was 45 minutes out, 45 minutes back. Valesco was 45 minutes out, 45 minutes back. So it was, and I, you know, I was like, is everything just 45 minutes away from everything here? And I was beautiful. I will tell you that from, you know, from being in Florida, no hills, you know, no cornfields, no farms, no nothing. I, I think where I was at in Iowa was beautiful. You know, that's the thing. Everybody thinks that Iowa is just like fucking flat and there's nothing there. And I think off of 80, you kind of get that. 
but I mean, like, it's really not like a bad place to live. I mean, you got the nice rolling hills. There's not a lot of places that go hike. I did Malvern's a cool little place. I feel like most times, you know, we're up by like Omaha and stuff. We usually end up over there. I like Malvern. Malvern's a cool little city for sure. Um, rural meth is the best meth you can get. It is, yeah. It's uh it's not crystal clear. And that's how you know it's good, is you know it's still made in bathtubs. Phenomenal. To be. Phenomenal little burger spot in Malvern. Phenomenal little lunch spot there. Look at, we're like, Iowa tourism fucking owes me some money for pumping out uh, Southwest Iowa. But anyway, so I, I wanted to ask something as far as uh, Saul had kind of hit on this a little bit, is are there certain people that are more susceptible to feeling the paranormal stuff? I think from my experience, uh, the more you do it, the more you are. And the reason that I'm saying that is because when I first started, I wasn't getting like, I couldn't like, it's like when you're first, when you first become a cop, that's the best way that I could equate it. When you're first walking up on cars, you're scared of everything. You always, you know, have that butterfly in your stomach and then you start getting comfortable. You start getting confident. You start getting that. But then after you're pulling cars over for a year and a half, two years, you walk up on that car and those butterflies hit your stomach, that hair on the back of your neck raises, you know, it's like your, your sixth sense is kicking in. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, no, it, it makes sense. You, you mentioned that like people have been in that house and they've been kicked and scratched and, and all kinds of stuff. And that was something I was going to ask early on was like what you, you said, your dad said is they were here before us. They're not going to hurt you kind of thing. My perception. And I I'll straight up say, I don't watch the paranormal shows, but mm-hmm. I didn't know they could actually physically hurt you. Well, I've been doing it a long time and I've been physically touched three times. That's it. And again, and, weird uncle. Just saying. Yes. Yeah. It actually changed my life, but I'm a survivor. <laughs> Jesus Christ, we're getting canceled for that joke. <laughs> he didn't mean the uncle. He meant he meant the other thing. Okay, folks. Yeah, we're gonna anyway. get you a ribbon to put on your car that says "Survivor of Ghost Rape." <laughs> <laughs> no, that could, but, uh, that's another name of the podcast. Uh, but yeah, uh, physically. Um, physically touch of it's only happened to me three times and i'm and again i usually preface this and i've kind of got ahead of ahead of myself with a lot of these things that i try to explain but um i i I try to debunk everything that i come across i really do because i try to run my paranormal investigations like i would a police investigation where i'm only going to take the evidence if it's legitimate you know what i mean and I'm one of those guys that if I hear a knock on the wall, I'm actually going to go outside and make sure that there's not a woodpecker or a bird or something like that. I'm going to try to, or have a camera out there or something that I can verify that this is nothing naturally occurring or somebody doing it. Or, you know, I try, I'm one of those people that really try to debunk everything before I accept it as something that's unexplained. Did you do Waverly Hills? Not yet. Not yet. It's it's. I've done a lot across the U.S. I have not done that yet. Yeah, my wife definitely got her hand grabbed, and we had some really interesting experiences at Waverly Hills. That was that was that was me. I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that has been one of our favorite places that we are definitely going back to. 
I was gonna say, speaking of like haunted places, and I know I've told this on the podcast, but I, I think it's worth repeating here because it's relevant. So when we moved to this house, this house that we live in is old, like the oldest place I've ever lived in. It's incredibly old. I'm sure there's a ton of history here. When so from first... like the 1960s? Yeah. Yeah. No, I this fucking house is older than Betty White. Does okay? it have 1960s carpet? 1962 to be exact. <laughs> uh, I almost missed it, but then I, I got it. I got it. I found the joke. <laughs> That's nice carpet, except I have a fucking puppy and he's making it not nice. I'm not a big fan of that. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Your puppy is adorable. He can do any fucking thing he wants to. No, he can't. Little bastard. We have these really nice fucking um, big bean bags that we can take out and they turn into king mattresses. He fucking pissed on one the other day. I don't think we can clean it. Keyword you said two words in was had. <laughs> well, I'm uh, if my brother listens to this, buddy, I cleaned it. You're not sleeping in piss over Thanksgiving, okay? As but, far as you know. As far as you know. It's like the poppy thing in Seinfeld. Just fucking turn it over. You'll be fine. But so we, we get to this fucking house and it's late at night. And so me and my eight-year-old came in the u-haul and then my wife and the kids were in the the haunted van and they got here i think maybe 15 20 minutes before we did and the older two who were like 11 and 9 at the time were fucking bawling they were terrified they're like we hate this house we don't want to live here it's haunted i'm like you guys have been here for 10 minutes (laughs) 10 minutes okay and they were terrified, terrified. And then um, to add, to make it a little bit worse, the next day or maybe a day or two after we were in town and a uh, guy out by the gas station, he's like, oh, are you guys the new people in town? No, oh, you live in the Oh, you house? talked about this, the worst timing ever award. Yes. So he's he's like, oh, you guys moved to that house? I've been to that house before. Just, you know, don't go in the closet after nine o'clock because it's haunted or whatever the fuck he said. I'm like, you asshole. And he's like, what? I was like, dude, they're fucking afraid of the house. They think it's haunted. So I haven't experienced that here. I do the podcast in the basement. Obviously, the 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 haunts fucking dig the podcast because they haven't touched me yet. Um, they've seen me do some weird shit down here, so that's a little awkward. But I I was gonna say that Birdman, you should come here and check the place for paranormal shit. But that's the last thing I want you to do, because if my kids hear about it, we'll have to move. No, that's fine. I'll just go fuck myself. You don't invite me anywhere. You don't fucking experience anything, douchebag. But I would come and try. That's what she said. That Yeah. Come on, buddy. You set yourself up for failure there. So, yeah, I I just think um, having, having a paranormal investigator come to the house would be bad. Saul? Open invitation, buddy. You fucking come here. You can come down here and do a fucking podcast in my basement with me. Done anytime. Also, just for the listeners, I need you to harass Lenny because I am trying to get a group podcast held from the Velisca Axe Murder House. We would all go there and do the podcast from inside the house. I think that should happen for next year's Halloween episode. I'm just throwing it out there. That would be good. Why don't you start planning a trip for Halloween, Saul? 
if I'm not canceled or really famous and don't need you anymore, we'll do it. God, now you sound like my ex-wife. <laughs> She's haunted. Anyway, <laughs> we're I don't even know where we're at anymore. We've totally gone off the rails. But don't let me skip ahead if, if there's there, there's points that I'm skipping ahead here. But so you get into the investigating. You kind of go out. You learn the ropes from other guys. As you do it more, you get more comfortable. I, I felt like in police work, there was a couple like, you know, cases that like really made me feel like a cop that I did good shit and I was really getting it. Do you have like your first good story doing this where you're like, I, I got it. I understand this. I'm, I'm on my way to being a good paranormal investigator. Can we have him a Birdman? Can you explain one other thing first before you get into a good story? Sure. What equipment do you typically use when you go investigate different locations? Like what, what gear are you bringing with you? Definitely going to have my Mel, Mel meter REM pod with me. You know, that, that EMF temperature and it creates an EMF field that if anything touches it, you know, it's going to alarm. Definitely going to have a REM pod. Uh, I, I personally bring my, my dowsing rods, divining rods, if you want to call them. Um, because that sometimes actually, I, I don't like to rely on those, but that will sometimes open up a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, interaction because it's a lot easier for them to manipulate the rods than it is for them to physically touch something. Hey, you uh, said rods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the people who don't know, those are the, you hold them lightly and they're small, slim metal poles that like cross if you get near energy, right? Yeah. Copper rods. Yeah. And like a lot uh, of people used to use those to find water underground and shit like that. Right. Correct. Okay. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to have a spirit box of some sort, whether I have uh, a portal, uh, a geoport, an SB11 spirit box, something that I can actually uh, get verbal communication through, just depending on where I'm at or, or what I'm doing. If I'm traveling, you know, I'm kind of limited with what I'm able to take with me because uh, I recently got a GS2 laser grid, which actually sends a laser grid out, which detects temperature, motion, everything in front of you. I absolutely love that piece of gear. Uh, it's it's one of those. I'm not a big techie guy with the gear because there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of garbage out there and you really have to work with your gear and learn your gear. Um, but I really like this GS2, uh, this laser grid that just came out. I'm a big fan of it. I've had nothing but great interaction and nothing but like where I could actually second the hits that I'm getting on the GS2 laser grid with another piece of gear, which I really like. Um Cameras, I'm not really big into recording everything that I do. Like I said, I'm not a YouTube guy. I don't put my stuff out there. Um, I'm actually at the point now where I'm kind of doing it for myself and trying to find the answers that I'm looking for. And through my investigating, maybe finding some answers. And if I can help someone, I'm definitely going to help them. So those, that's pretty much the gear that I would bring. Do you have an ovulus? I I. I do, but I have the new generation of Ovilus. Um, I forget what it's called, and I don't have my gear out in front of me right now, but it's actually put out by uh, a company here in Florida, and they actually um, pretty much you have an EMF meter inside the Ovilus, and you can actually see the spikes in EMF before the words come up, so you can actually see if something's actually interacting with the piece of gear before the words are coming through. Um, just so everybody knows, the Ovilus, it it has like a dictionary in it and supposedly the spirits can communicate. So when you ask questions, words will actually appear 
on the screen in response to your questions. And we had really interesting experiences at the Pioneer Saloon and at Waverly Hills using those. It was kind of fun. I have no idea about anything you guys just said, but I'm going to take your word for it, that it's really great equipment. So basically the theory behind everything, just to give you like a quick crash course and not to go super Star Trek nerd with all the paranormal gear. Basically they believe that entities are energy based and they produce electromagnetic fields. Uh, Most of the stuff that you work with either produces electromagnetic field or detects electromagnetic field. A REM pod is basically, it's a circle thing with an antenna on it, and it produces an electromagnetic field that when that field is breached, it's going to give you uh, an audible alarm, okay? So if anything goes and breaches that electromagnetic field to touch that antenna, it's going to give you an audible alarm. So that would be a REM pod. Uh, An EMF meter is like an electrician's electromagnetic field meter to find leaks in your your electrical wiring in the house without ripping all the walls open. They run EMF meters to find where your electromagnetic fields are coming from. And the theory behind it with paranormal investigating is if that if an entity approaches that and it's producing an electromagnetic field, you're going to get a spike on that EMF where you prior knew where there was no electricity in that area. For God's sake, don't be such a nerd. So that's the, the theory, Star but... Trek guy. <laughs> <laughs> Back where I was, because Saul fucking interrupted me. How dare you? Sorry, Obi Wan. My bad. That's all right. I forgive you, Captain Kirk. But so what? What was like the big turning point? You know, because you said you kind of started out slow. Like, was there a case or a call, so to speak, that kind of got you thinking? Like, hey, I, I. I got this. Like I'm starting to kind of figure this out. Like what was a turning point for you? Uh, it was definitely probably St. Simon's Island, Georgia. Um, there's a place there called the Hoffwild Plantation. And you, the company that I was doing this with, uh, the investigating, we actually took people all over the U.S. to investigate. Uh, we did a, a series of investigations all over the United States you could pay a fee. We took you to the place. We provided the gear. We were the investigators. You investigated along with us and did your own independent investigations. So Hoffwild Plantation was one of those locations that we actually took people to. And I had been investigating for a while and I was kind of getting it, but the level of activity at Hoffwild was to a, a point where I, w- I don't want to say it was shooting fish in a barrel, but the activity there and it was kind of like I could recognize what was going on and I could recognize what was going to work without having any history of the location or the prior investigators or what they used. It was kind of like it was coming more naturally to me what I was going to put out, where I was going to put it, different areas kind of Oh my feeling. god, that's what she said. Yeah. Go on. But uh, it kind of, like I said, it just kind of came, that was where it kind of like when you're a cop and it kind of just like everything clicks, you know? Because it was kind of, I wasn't having to think about it. It was just kind of more more natural for me to just kind of run through the investigation and just kind of lay it all out and do it. Can you talk about the first time you were touched? That's what she said. By my uncle or by an entity? <laughs> uh, let's go with the entity. And actually, my uncle's going... And relay it slowly <laughs> in sexy voice. No, that actually, uh, that's that was actually a joke. No, um, the first time, uh, 
Sorry. I was all I was all alone in a dark room. No. But there yes. we go. The first <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, hold stop, on my probably. My oil's warming up. Give it just a second. <laughs> if I start hearing noises like bats flying coming from salt, it's going to be uh, all over but the crying. <laughs> my phone doesn't pick up schwapping. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm gonna be an uh, adult. I'm taking my mouse away from the soundboard. Go ahead. So, all right, I will do the major one because the other ones, this one was actually witnessed by other people, and there were multiple people there who actually witnessed this happen. So, I, I'll tell this story. We were in Savannah, Georgia, and we were at the old Savannah Theater, uh, and we were investigating the stage area. Uh, we kind of went in there cold, and we had brought a bunch of people on, you know, one of our things where we were bringing people to investigate. And we were on the stage in the old Savannah Theater, and they basically were there, and we're trying to make contact with the entity that's allegedly on the stage, and we're getting some activity, and we're getting some some hits, and we're getting some EMF hits, and we're getting some other kind of activity on the stage. We're getting you know some little bit unexplained noises. And I see my EMF meter, and it's a digital readout. Uh, usually, EMF spikes are between 1.8 to 3.0 milligauss as a pretty significant spike of electromagnetic field. My EMF meter is literally ringing, and it's 99.0 to 103. That's extremely high electromagnetic field. I feel the back of my sweater get tugged, and the next thing I know, I'm about 3 three to four feet across the stage. I'm six, two. I'm not a small guy at all. I'm kind of a fatty, but for me to get dragged across a stage, takes some significant energy and it was witnessed. And someone actually saw my sweater get pulled backwards with no one there and me get tugged backwards across the stage. That was the most significant incident that I've ever had with some, an unknown force actually moving me across an area so people fucking saw that was is it on like is it recorded anywhere no but the people that i was investigating with and the people that were actually investigating with us up on the stage all saw it happen did that happen to anybody else that day or it was just you that got that was just that happened to me um we were you know i've seen people be scratched and i've actually been in the room with them when they were scratched and there was no one near them they were not touching themselves where the scratches actually were on their body, they could have not manipulated their hands in a way to actually make the scratches appear. Um, I've seen that happen myself. I've seen someone get shoved and, you know, I've actually seen somebody like standing totally still and then just be pushed backwards two or three feet. Uh, I've seen that happen myself. I've seen objects move. I've seen flashlights move. I actually have a couple stories from investigating with the other cops that I work with where flashlights have been knocked off their cars when we were investigating, saw a flashlight move three inches across their hood. You know, it's, I've seen that stuff myself uh, and I've actually had other police officers witness it. So you said something really early on about there's more questions than answers. Yeah. I, I want to key on that a little bit. Has anything ever been answered or is it just is there another question after something gets answered? My own personal belief, 
I believe that it's real. Uh, I've seen enough in the 10 plus years that I've been doing it to 100% say my own personal belief with everything that I've seen, things that I cannot explain, had other people witness has happened right in front of me, that it's real. And it's not my job to convince anyone else that it's real. If you have any questions about this, if you are interested in this, I highly suggest, like Saul said, go out to these places, have your own experiences, find a team, a reputable team that you can jump in with and find the answers. If you want to know if it's real or not, if you want to debunk it, go out and debunk it. You know, just that's to me, that, that's the only thing that I can answer right now. Can I tell you what it is? Can I tell you that they're the spirits of people who are passed away? Absolutely not. Can I tell you that there are people that have a message and they have unfinished business and this and that? Absolutely not. I don't know 100% what they are, but I know that there's something out there. By the way, for those playing at home, as you were talking about all this stuff, I heard like running above me and I'm like, oh, fuck, I pissed off the ghost. My kid chasing the dog, so I'm glad that's what it was. Let me ask this, and I don't want to get too far into like heaven and hell and stuff like that, but does the idea of ghosts and the paranormal and stuff, does that mesh or does that not really quite, does that not really go with Christianity or heaven and hell and that kind of stuff? Or do you think it all kind of belongs together? Or what are your views on that? I'm just curious. Well, I think that that's, and I'm going to take the chicken shit answer on this one because uh, it's all your own personal belief, what what you believe in. And I don't want to shit on anybody's religion and what anybody believes in because I may believe in something different than you doesn't, doesn't mean you're right or I'm wrong and, or I'm right and you're wrong. It's just, it's your own personal belief. But from my experience and what I've seen, there's something else out there. There's something else out there that I can, that I can tell you through all these experiences that I've, that I've seen that I cannot explain. There's something else out there. I said, I, Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't help myself there. Oh, fucking Dana Scully was hot. Can we just oh spend God. a moment on that? What do you I mean? Will, uh, I think she's still hot, right? She's hot hotter now than she was then. I'm just saying. But sorry, I digress. But like I said, uh, I I work with someone who was very much a non-believer and started coming out and doing investigations with me. And we started and, you know, the first reaction when things happen that people can't explain, you have a button in your shoe, the equipment's rigged, you're turning that flashlight on, you know, you're, how are you doing this? How are you making this happen? But as we continue to do investigations and he continued to come out with me and have more experiences and do these things and actually bring his own things from home. Um, he started having experiences that he couldn't explain. And I'm not going to say that it changed his mind because he's still extremely skeptical, but he's kind of like me with now he really wants to know what it is and what's going on with it. And we investigate a lot and we do a lot of stuff together. And, you know, it's, he wants to find those answers like I wanted to find those answers and the experiences that we've had together and what he's, you know, experienced when he's out with me, it's stuff that he can't explain. So 
he's kind of seeing that maybe that there's something there, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm kind of rambling. No, I I think that makes sense. And And I was thinking about this kind of on a grand scale for we were recording because I just, I, I think to get like, you know, a big helicopter view, which is apparently something I say a lot, but if you think about everything, you know, you take that 30,000 foot view of this place. Yeah. 30,000, 30,000 to 40,000, maybe 50,000 foot view of this. Well, I don't know about you guys, but every once in a while I kind of ponder like the fuck is this? Like what, why am I here? You know, like the the big scale, the grandiose things. Why am I here? Because your parents touch tummies. Stop! That's the worst theory of all of them. And now you're envisioning it. You're welcome. No! No! God damn it, you asshole. Hold on. Where's my puke? Um, Hold on. Hold on. Hold on here. Let me get the right sound here. The worst part is I can hear your dad's voice while I'm saying... (laughs) Okay, that was bad. Anyway, you take your big view of this and don't think about your parents banging in nineteen the eighties. But anyway, God, dude, you fucking ruined everything I was gonna say. Like now, I just I need to vomit. But they were probably listening to Michael Jackson. You were conceived a thriller. <laughs> that might have happened. Wow. Awful. You know what I? You know what I was probably conceived to. You know what song? Billy Jean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. what movie is that from? It's Benny That's Hill. Fucking Benny Hill, man. Well, I know, but it's in a fucking famous '80s movie, and I can't think of it. No, I don't know. I'm it wasn't Great old. Outdoors, was it? Well, uh, while you're thinking know. of the movie, let me finish my thought, and you stop talking about my parents fucking. Sorry to my brother that's going to listen to this. And Sorry. It's dramatic to you, too. And it, remember, we all have not, our hobbies, and you're welcome, brother. <laughs> it's uh, it's not uh, pee on the mattress. It's uh, something else. But anyway. It's love stains. Of, of that, That's possible, too. But if, out of everything in the world, not that long ago, the world was flat, right? Technology has changed. All these things have changed. Um, religions have changed. The worldviews have changed. I the one thing I know for sure. Well, I know a couple things, but the main things is we don't know shit. We are little fucking peasant brains. We are so fucking small and insignificant. We don't know fucking dick. And the other thing that I, I think is of all the theories, you know, you hear the crazy shit about like living in a fucking, you know, a microbe, right? Like some scientist is like fucking, you know, playing with us and pulling strings, all the crazy shit. Of all of that, the one thing that I'll say too is of all the theories, the one thing that doesn't make sense is there's no reason. There, there's a fucking reason, right? I, I think there's a reason behind everything. And, you know, I, I think we don't fucking know shit. And so, like, I personally, I don't know what I think about ghosts. Uh, I like the band. We all know that. But I don't know what I think about the paranormal shit because I've never experienced it. So but- I'm not going to necessarily say it's not true. Because I've never experienced it, but I'm not going to also say, well, just because other people have, it's true. It could be, you know, my, you know, your mind playing tricks on you and all kinds of crazy shit because your mind will fuck with you. I know that. But there's a lot of people out there that have had these experiences. So it's like, well, it could be something to this. Can I give kind of a weird side of the spectrum? Yeah. You said spectrum. So 
not to overshare, but I'm a sarcastic atheist prick. Okay. Um, and my wife jokes all the time because she's like, How can you be an atheist and believe in ghosts? And I'm like, I don't fucking know, but I've seen some weird shit. I don't have the answers, and I'm comfortable not knowing and not making sense of it all because I'm open to different theories. And if you're religious and that works for you, cool. I'm just not. Um, but can I tell my Waverly Hills story? I'd be curious to get Birdman's I'd take on this. To hear it. So my wife and I are both very level-headed and skeptical, and we just like seeing weird shit. So we signed up for Waverly you're Hills. You're setting yourself up right there. The we're weird shit to... thing, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm into pegging. Whatever, you know, works for you. <laughs> she calls me Nancy and punches me in the back of the head. Don't judge me. So... <laughs> God, if my wife ever listens to this, she's going to kill me. So we go to Waverly Hills, which is in kind of a, a fun part of Louisville. And you have to wait to get into the building. They actually have to come let you in and you have to sign up or they don't let you get close because they don't want people sneaking in. Um, and we see this couple there that has all the gear. So my wife and I had just signed up for this tour. We go up to them. We're like, hey, you guys have all the stuff. We are big time rookies. We've never done this before. Do you mind if we just follow you around and we will stay out of your way? We won't bother you. We won't do any of that stuff. These people were super cool. And they're like, yeah, come with us. That's fine. They had all the stuff. So we tagged along with them the whole time and they were super cool and gracious about it. Weird thing is, they both went to the same high school in a tiny town in Ohio that my parents had gone to, which was fucking weird. But we found ourselves up on after midnight up on the fourth floor of the Waverly Hills sanitarium. And they have what used to be the playground area on the roof where they had swing sets and shit for the kids. And if you watch any of the ghost shows, they'll show you this area. So we had an ovulus and they were asking questions. That's the thing that has the dictionary in it that will project words when you're asking questions. So my wife is very level headed and I wouldn't have believed it if anybody else did it. But she looked at me and she goes, there's something grabbing my hand and it's a small child. And I was like, okay, weird. Is it still grabbing it? And she's like, yeah, it's holding my hand. And my wife's not like she doesn't bullshit that stuff. So I was like, okay, that's weird. Um, but we're asking questions and, you know, like, what are you doing up here? And the ovulus first said mommy. And then the next word was story that came through. What and you're like, the okay. Fuck? Oh, wait, dude, it gets better. So, Birdman, have you ever done, if you take a little uh, maglite flashlight, the little handheld ones that are maybe six inches long, that's what she said. Um, and you, unscrew it just enough to where you barely put any pressure on it. It turns on or off. Have you done that trick? I have the flashlights and that's one of the things I used to investigate. That's actually what I was talking about earlier with the flashlights on the car and stuff like that. So here's what these guys showed us that you're familiar with, but just so everybody knows what we did is we set two mag light flashlights on the ground, about six inches apart. I'm skeptical. So they told us we loosen the caps just so you could touch them and they would turn on and off. I walked around them. I stomped on the ground. 
Waverly Hills is an old industrial building, so it's concrete floors that are super thick. Even when I stomped around them, there, the lights didn't go on or off. There was no movement whatsoever. And I was like, okay, so that's not going to trigger it. And there were just four of us on that floor, and we stood around them. Nobody was moving. Here's the trippy part, and I have this all on video. Um, we would ask questions like, are you an adult? Are you a child? And when we said, are you a child? The lights fucking turned off. And this is what blew my mind because the two people we were with said, okay, thank you. You can turn it off. And I kid you not, the light turned off on command. They then said, what are you three? Oh, Sorry. even more. They then said, are you three? Are you four? Are you five? And when they said, are you five? The light turned on. They said, thank you. You can turn it back off. The light fucking turned off. They then said, uh, are you here to visit your dad? Are you here to visit your mom? The light turned back on. Thank you. You can turn it back off. Turned it back off. There's a famous story of a dog that's supposedly there. They said, is the dog inside? Is the dog outside? Light turned back on. Thank you. You can turn it back off. Shit you not. Light turned back off. This went on for 40 fucking minutes. And it answered questions and turned the light off on command every single fucking time. And then we went from the fourth floor to the third floor, asked the same questions and got the same fucking answers. And my wife was like, the kid's still here. It's still holding my hand. That went on all night. And the flashlight for people who don't do investigating, that's probably one of the best investigation tools because it's, it's visual People can see it. It's it's one of the, you know, I absolutely love the flashlight. It's one of my favorite things. But that's an awesome story, and that's an awesome experience. We we got back to the hotel at, like, 4.30 in the morning, and my wife and I were, again, we're both very level-headed. We looked at each other, and I was like, do you have any clue to make how to make the fucking any sense out of what just happened? And she said, no, do you? And I said, nope. And then we went to bed. I feel bad for anybody listening to this shit on Graveyard, which I think I'm going to like drop this one a little early because it's so good. But I I feel bad for anybody driving around in the middle of the night listening to this shit. Like, oh, fuck. Because I don't, I don't know. I don't like the shit. So I'm probably going to have to take some extra melatonin tonight. So I don't have to think about, you know, poor little kids stuck in the, wherever the fuck they're stuck. You know, again, you said like there's there's so many questions, but do you have any theories or ideas like how somebody or like is our spirit stuck or is that where they're supposed to be? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on this stuff where like, you know, certain things haunt certain places? Like, how does that happen? Do you have any theories? Well, from, and I can only go on my experience from investigating. Um, I've come across entities and I've got the same answers. Like, like Saul and his wife got through the flashlights through the spirit boxes, through, you know, just investigating uh, electronic voice phenomena. We've got electronic voice phenomena evidence where, you know, you ask the entity, are you here because this was your home? And you get a yes, or you get a flashlight turn on, or you get a REM pod hit, you get that positive feedback. You ask them, are you this person who built this house using a name? Or you play the name game with the flashlight. Does your name start with A, with B, with C? 
and you'll actually get the name of the person who actually built the house because you've already done the background on the house and you've done the you know you've done the full investigation who built the house when it was there uh who you who they believe what they've seen who they believe is haunting the house and sometimes you will find an entity that's responding to you as the person who's built the house that was the love of their life that house that was the labor of love they want that's their happy place that's where they want to be maybe they didn't cross over maybe they remain that's depending on what you believe in but i've actually found people that have said they have unfinished business that they need to find answers for something i've had entities that have said that it's because this was their happy place and the place that they loved i've had other entities tell me that they were looking for someone specifically and maybe they haven't crossed over until they find that person so it just it all depends you know every investigation is different if that if I answered your question. Yeah, I'm going to just can, start drinking more. I can tell you right now, I've already told my wife that if I die, I'm coming back and haunting her. And every time she's banging another dude, I'm going to whisper my name in her ear. Would it be a careless whisper? I think I get props for that joke, by the way. But go on. The setup and you hit it. That's what she said. But I would be very remiss if I didn't actually speak about my wife, who's a saint and who actually tolerates all this with me doing all this. Plus all the years that I was in the bureau and, you know, all the time that I was away working murders and then having to travel with me and then go chase ghosts with me all night. She's phenomenal. But I would actually tell you the story about what made her a true believer if you had the time for it. Oh, I'm here for it, buddy. Uh, do you want me to give the name of the location? Uh, because it's still an active place in Savannah where you could actually stay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, okay. there's been a lot of Savannah talk. I got to give a shout out to the Savannah Bananas. I just bought one of their hats, but go on. Okay. My wife and I go to Savannah and we want to stay in a haunted location because I always want to stay in a place that's haunted. So we do some little, a little bit of research and we end up staying at the Kehoe House. Uh, if you know anything about the Kehoe house, very, very wealthy Irish family, Kehoes, any wrought iron that you see in Savannah was done by the Kehoes. And house was owned for a long time by Casey Kasem. It's actually been bought now by a, uh, a conglomerate group, and it's actually ran as a bed and breakfast. The most haunted room in the Kehoe house is the Julia Gordon Low Suite. And if you call there and ask for it specifically, like I did, uh, back then, they tried to talk you out of it. Uh, basically, they said, hey, listen, most people don't make it a weekend in this room, the activity, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You guys are trying to you know, amp up the room, whatever. It's probably going to cost me more than a standard room, but I want to stay there. They're like, listen, are you sure? We're booked that weekend. That's the only room we have left. Are you sure you want to stay there? I'm like, 110%, throw me in this room. I want to stay there. They go, okay. They call me to confirm about a week out. That we're still coming. I said, yes. They said, hey, listen, another room opened up. Are you sure you want to be in that room? I said, 100%. They're like, listen, if we book up, there's not going to be a room to change you into. There's no refunds if you have to leave, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, they're really trying to amp up the lore and the legend of this room. I want to stay there. My wife's like, I want to stay there too. Perfect. We go. First night we're there, we go out on a walking history tour around Savannah. We do our thing. We come back, I'm, 
using the restroom. I'm taking a dump. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the door opens and hits me in the knee. I look at the door, and I look out, and I'm like, ha-ha, very, and my wife is laying on the bed about 25 feet across the room. Was your uncle there? No, he was not, unfortunately. But that was the first thing that happened. Um, I'm like, okay, there was no reason for this door to open and hit me with the door. All right, whatever. Get up, go to lay down in bed. You know, we're talking about it. She's like, you know, it is what it is. You know, maybe the it's an old house. Maybe it's off kilter. The door could have popped open. You know, you could explain that away. Middle of the night, I'm laying there. I sit bolt upright in bed. You just get that feeling that you're being watched, as we all do so every once in a while. Female, all black clothing, standing in the room next to the television. I'm staring right at her. She disappears. I roll Was over. Was hot? Uh, couldn't see any facial features. Couldn't see anything. Standard shadow, but you can see the outline of a dress, kind of a period dress. Dark. It was, you know, I, I could see her standing there. I went to sleep. I wake up in the morning. My wife's like, hey, listen, anything weird happened last night? I go, yeah, I saw this female standing next to the TV, but I, you know, I sat bolt up right in bed, but, you know, I could have been dreaming. I could have been sleeping, you know, when you first open up your eyes, you know, she goes, well, I felt like somebody was tucking me in all night long. I said, what? She goes, yes. And I woke up and I was wrapped in a cocoon of blankets. Like somebody had physically taken their hands and wrapped the blankets underneath me like a child, like you would tuck a child in. I said, that's weird. So we go about our business. We go about our day. We come back in the afternoon to change, to go out to dinner. I set my cell phone down in a three-inch deep TV tray that actually slides out from the chest of drawers, like the armoire that's in the room. Set my cell phone down. I set my wallet down. I'm going over to my suitcase to grab my clothes for dinner. My cell phone gets thrown out of that three-inch deep tray and lands in the center of the floor. We were both on the opposite side of the room next to the windows, nowhere near the phone. I'm like, okay, something's trying to let us know that it's here. We go out to dinner. We come back that night. Middle of the night, I wake up to my wife going, please, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm okay. Stop tucking me in. I just want to sleep. 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 I said, what's going on? She goes, something is physically tucking me in in this bed. I'm wrapped in blankets like a cocoon. I can feel the hands going underneath me. I said, oh, no. So now it's at that level of activity in the room. And this is going on all night for her. I never, it never physically happened to me. I know my wife, she doesn't bullshit. She doesn't lie, kind of like yours. This happened to her because I audibly heard her talking multiple times during the night, waking me up that this was occurring. And I could physically see that the blankets were touched, tucked underneath her. Next morning I get up, we go downstairs. The guy that's at the desk, he's like, How's everything going in the room? I'm like, hey, listen, are there any other rooms available? You know, this has been going on. He's like, nope, I told you guys there's no refunds. You wanted to stay there. You're fucked like Chuck. You guys are stuck for the weekend. I talked to her, see if she wants to change hotels. She goes, no, we only have like, you know, another night or two. So we'll tough it out. We go out that night. We come back. We're walking up the front stairs. And you have to actually use a key to get into the Kehoe house because, you know, they 
all the ghost tours stop there. You know, people want to come in and do their thing that aren't, you know, staying there. We walk up, we're walking up the stairs with another couple that's actually staying at the house. And I go to, we're about four or five feet away from the door. I'm pulling the key out to get into the front door of the place. The door swings open and remains open. And it's on one of those retractable arms and it stays open. And I went, and the girl sitting at the front desk goes, wow, she must really like you. And I go, who's she? She goes, oh, the ghost of Miss Kehoe. She's the one who haunts this place. She must really like you if she opened up the door for you to come back in. And again, the same activity happened to my wife the whole night with the tucking in. And, you know, my wife's like, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to talk about it all night long. She's just saying, thank you. Please stop. Thank you. Please stop. So that was the, uh, the turning point for my wife that she actually became a true believer. I don't know. Like half of me is like, that would be really cool to experience that. And then the other half of me is I'm good. Please don't haunt me. Oh, can I tell another story? Cause I want Birdman's take on it. Sure. Mm-hmm. So when we were staying, have you ever stayed at the St. James hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico? I have not been out to New Mexico yet. I'm, trying to get out there but i have been to colorado stayed a lot at the uh state of the uh what's it called in colorado the, the, the shiny hotel yeah the stanley. stanley yeah yeah i've not been out there yet so the place in new mexico very cool same thing you call up and you ask for a room and i was asking i said what's the coolest room i can stay in and she was kind of vague and dancing around it and i finally said what room's the most fucking haunted? And she goes, oh, thank God. That's what I thought you were asking for. Stay in this room. Um, so she gave us the room, super cool old room, and it had a old, neat fireplace in it. And I was sleeping on the side of the bed with the fireplace. So, like I said, I never get feelings of weirdness or anything else, but it's probably about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm having really weird nightmares like something is going on and i can't get to it to stop it like a phone's ringing but things keep blocking me from getting to the phone does that it sounds stupid but just really weird stuff like that where you can't get to the objective you need to get to so i finally wake up and it's just really weird negative feelings and i look over and there's like a multi-colored like orb next to the bed and I'm very lucid at the time. And I start immediately just trying to check stuff off the list. So I look at the window and I'm like, are there any lights coming through the window? Is this a reflection from a car? Is this a reflection off? So I'm looking at the window. I'm looking at pictures in the room to see if any lights reflecting anything like that. The orb of multicolored rainbow light slowly moves towards the fireplace and I'm just laying there, not moving at all, just watching it. I'm not scared or anything. I'm just watching this happen. But it moves towards the fireplace and actually goes into the fireplace. And the second it goes into the fireplace, all of those negative feelings completely go away. I actually gave it the bird um, while I was laying in bed. And I was like, yeah, good night to you, too. And then I went back to sleep and had no issues the rest of the night. And we woke up and I told my wife about it. She didn't experience anything, but I thought that was super weird. And I'd never even heard of or seen anything like that before. Where'd you if learn you that, want... Drug school. <laughs> Drug school. 
if you want my take on it. It yeah. was it, it was feeding off of your energy. It was it was going to materialize. That's why you saw it about halfway. It was feeding off of you. It was feeding off your energy and your dreams. Yeah, as soon as I gave it the bird and it left, I can't remember if I talked to it or not. But I was like, because I don't get. I'm like, whatever. See you later. And I yeah, I gave it the bird and everything went away right away. Well, you know, and this is again going down the uh, the theory path, and it's one of the theories that I kind of tend to. Uh, believe in because it's what i've actually seen and what i've actually experienced um they kind of feed off of our energy um you know you put out good energy on an investigation you're going to get good stuff if you go in there expecting you know getting scratched punched negative energy you're probably going to get negative okay what about sexual energy Ooh, only if the uncles are around i know i keep on going back to that joke But Uncles yeah, I mean, <laughs> always unwanted touching with both. <laughs> or is it wanted? <laughs> Can we talk about how weird that scene was in Ghostbusters when he gets a blowy from the ghost, Dan Aykroyd, and like just randomly in the movie? I'm just uh, that wait, did that happen? Do I not yeah. remember? Did, did yeah, you download dreaming. the wrong movie? Uh, Ghostbusters, but bust means boobs. No. Oh man. But actually, fun fact about uh, Dan Aykroyd is uh, his dad was a very, very big paranormal investigator. I actually have a upstairs. I've got a signed Dan Aykroyd um, skull vodka that he makes. Probably some of the best vodka on the planet. But continue. I won't drink it because he signed it, so I can't fucking drink it. If you're gonna. Uh, if you're a vodka fan and you're going to drink that, definitely pay the money for the triple distilled. It comes in the multicolored skull, the uh, whatever they call that, that like hologram type color changing skull. It's probably the best one. How did I not know this was a thing? It's phenomenal. You had me at holographic skull. Yes. We will drink from the holographic skull from yes. the ballista during the recording. <laughs> Done. Don't be a bitch, Lenny. Show up. Uh, you know I'll be there. But I just, I hope the, God, I'm trying to find the fucking sound bite, but I feel like I've used a meme before. It's like, oh, spirits, don't touch my butthole, but I can't find it. Or maybe I'm making that up. If you're scared, we'll get you a tampon. All right, and we'll be right back with the podcast. Are you a cop or a first responder and you have a small business you want to promote at a reasonable rate? I got the perfect solution for you. Advertise on this podcast or on Poorly Made Police Memes. Send me an email at poorlymadepolicememes at gmail.com or send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram. Now, back to the podcast. I have a few more questions, uh, my dumb questions, and a few more ghost stuff, but I don't want to forget to do the officer of the podcast. You guys ready to hear about the officer of the podcast? 100%. Are you, are you getting more nominations now since you threw a tantrum? It was a huge tantrum and a huge success, so fuck off. <laughs> I was right. I'm just saying, I was right. Guilt trip people, and they fucking do what they should do. I don't care. I'll own that all fucking day. But anyway, uh, this comes from a, a good friend of the page, and he says, my recommendation, I know this is shocking, but hear me out, is my patrol captain. He's my direct supervisor at where we work. 
and has worked his way up from part-time to captain over his career. He's He was one of my FTOs before getting his promotion to sergeant and captain. He's instilled in me and countless others in our department a sense of pride and fostered a sense of camaraderie within our office. The man works outrageous hours of overtime a week to make sure the patrol division has its needs met. This is a man that only not only juggles his responsibilities on patrol, but also but also other divisions. Uh, he balances scheduling, equipments, and oversees FTOs, new hires, training backgrounds, all the stuff, all while dancing the delicate tightrope that is admin politics. If there was ever an admin that would have your back and fight for the death for his guys, he's your guy. I have had many dark days on the job without hesitation. He's always been there as a shoulder to cry on or yell at, not only for me, but other officers on our team. To wrap up this long email and just to give a sense of who this man is, I'll explain a situation that occurred this summer. We were at critical staffing levels due to injuries and overall low staff. I was ordered to go from my my regular position to night shift. I did five years of nights, and I knew it was going to affect my mental health from prior experience. I recently found out my wife was pregnant with her first child. We were buying a home, and my parents uh, were dying from alcoholism. When I got the news of my temporary reassignment, I asked to speak in his office. He agreed. I closed the door. I shouted my frustrations for nearly 20 minutes. He never interrupted me and apologized with all the hardships and new circumstances that come into my life so quickly. He simply said, hey, if you're comfortable with it, I'd like to take this to his supervisor and uh, come to his office with your support if you'd like. I said yes. He advocated for me the entire meeting. We figured out a way for me to attend all my personal business over the summer that I could go to my wife's ultrasound, sign off on my house, and uh, go take care of my parents. This man is a saint. He's worked his way up from being a part-timer to captain. Uh, he actually asked that I'd bring him on to the podcast. Uh, he's a follower of the page, and by God, he needs an attaboy like you cannot believe. So I uh, I think this man deserves a fucking patch and a round of applause, don't you boys think? Definitely. I think you should thank him for his service. In honor of Ben, who would do so if he were here? I, I may have some big news about me and Ben, but I don't, I don't want to say anything yet. Are you having things. a baby? His name's Johnny. Does he have a mustache? We, we haven't assigned his gender yet, though. And now for something completely different. Is there any way we can take like a two-minute break so I can use the restroom real quick? Yeah, go take a piss, man. All right, thanks. Or we'll just leave that in and make it awkward. But I, I just get like so frustrated with everything going on. And then like half of me is like, you know what? It's okay. Things are great. Things are awesome. I'm just – I'm overreacting. And then I'll totally flip a switch after spending two minutes on the internet and decide the world's fucking over. Oh, we're at peak stupidity. Absolute peak stupidity. Okay, so this might be total bullshit, and you never know. Like, and that's the worst part about our society is you don't fucking know what's actually the truth because you can't trust what's actually coming out in the news anymore. But I saw this thing where like some researchers were testing COVID shit and they created a strain that is like 80% deadly. Why? Why? Why the? That's how every fuck? zombie movie starts. 
Dude, we are at a point in civilization that we have the technology that like a single human being, which we all know people are fucking stupid. Not all people, but a lot of people. Remember, like Bryant said, most people are just okay. But we, there are people that are smart enough. If they're irresponsible, they could wipe out half the fucking population. Maybe more. You know what amazing movie predicted just that? 12 Monkeys. Oh, I haven't seen 12 Monkeys. What's 12 Monkeys? It's got a... I don't want to give too much away because if people haven't seen it, they should. It's got Bruce Willis and a woman who I think is just classically beautiful, and that is Madeline Stowe, who was also in Last of the Mohicans, which is also an amazing movie. All right, let me look up Madeline Stowe. You haven't seen Last of the Mohicans, you uncultured bitch? It's uncultured. Oh, my God, she's beautiful. Right? She's just yeah. classically beautiful, but she was also in 12 Monkeys, which is all about a virus takes over the surface and people are forced underground. Brad Pitt's in it, too. It's a good flick from the 90s. I, highly recommend it. I wonder if it's one of those. What was the one? Was the ending scene on like they were on a helicopter or something and they had to take a shot with like a tranquilizer? Or am I making something up? Is it a different? Uh, that may have been Outbreak. Outbreak, yeah. I, I remember seeing that a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, they both have monkeys, you simpleton. That's, I am a simpleton. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Man, he's doing that is, the Pauly Shore thing. He's still pissing. I was no, that's, okay. Oh, I thought maybe he was doing like the Morse code. Da 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 da. I was going to make a. I was going to make a joke about Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, you know, appropriating culture, but I didn't. So Probably better off. <laughs> I'm a, no, I for last of the money. an amazing movie, though. Do you guys want to know the most disturbing thing while we're talking about going back to the earlier conversation about keeping your cool while people are insulting you? You guys have both seen Roadhouse, right? With Patrick Swayze. I Be nice to Gotta be nice till it's time not to be nice. And then, be nice. Right? But Lenny, you millennial son of a bitch, you've not seen it, right? So, whenever I teach at academies, I have people raise their hands who has seen it and who hasn't. And I am beyond appalled at you young people who don't understand your history and haven't seen fucking Roadhouse. Roadhouse. I waited 22 years to actually use the Jermaine joke from Smokey and the Bandit. I did it in front of a bunch of millennials and nobody got it and I had to explain afterwards. Somebody finally said Jermaine on duty where I could scream, the goddamn Germans got nothing to do with it. And <laughs> nobody got it except for me. Okay, uh, if you can if you can work time, some of a bitch, that's amazing. See, there was a meme war that I think will be over by the time this podcast comes out. I'm not sure that I didn't take part of, but I've been paying attention to it because there's been some good memes fucking coming out and some good pages, but dude, somebody dropped a um, Rodney King meme and it was really fucking good and it should not have lost and it lost. And I was talking to somebody else about it and I think they were exactly right. They're like, it's, it's not an issue of people 
thinking it's inappropriate they don't get the reference and i was like oh shit because basically the meme was you know rodney king getting his ass beat and there's uh the the verbiage was something about like you know admin back in the 90s or something like that and i'm like oh this is fucking comedy gold and i basically you're right millennials and gen z are ruining all the good jokes unfortunately i think a lot of young people just have zero sense of history and don't think anything existed prior to 1990 it's fucking weird roadhouse i also think that they don't have the attention span to sit and watch an entire movie because TikTok, YouTube, everything is three to four minutes. And that's like their attention span, to be honest with you. It's like my sex life. It's really just troubling. Okay. Nothing. I was looking for an okay boomer sound and it took too long. That's what she said. All right. We got to, we got to, we got to wrap this up and talk about some ghost stuff. Before I get into my dumb questions, I, I, I've tried to ask you everything I can think of. Is there anything, Birdman, that I didn't bring up or address that you think the world needs to know about paranormal activity? I think that if you are having issues with your house, and this is kind of what I wanted to get to, if you are having issues and you are having activity in your house, if you go out to buy a car, you're going to vet you know, that car, you're going to test drive it. You're going to research it. You're going to, if you're making any purchase, this is something that's going on in your home. This is something that's directly affecting your life. Vet that team. They will give you references. If they're legitimate, talk to the people that they've helped before. If they have helped, if they've not speak to other people about it, because that's a very big decision. Because like I said, you don't want four guys walking into your house and telling you that you have a demon in your house. And that nothing could be further from the truth. You know, you definitely want to be able to vet these people and, you know, take that very seriously. Don't just like Google ghost hunters in my area and, you know, get a couple of guys that have watched a couple of TV shows coming in with gear that they bought on eBay. You know what I mean? I want you to know that while explaining that and car buying, you also simultaneously made it okay to have sex before marriage. Got to test drive it. You always test drive it. Never buy it. Is there a way to test drive your house before you buy it for paranormal activity? Like, I and, and I'm just kind of saying this out loud, like rhetorical, like maybe that's something we need to start doing is, can I stay here overnight and just make sure there's nothing going on? I don't know if that's appropriate or not. Ask the questions. Ask the question of the realtor when you're looking at the house in the state of Florida. You have to disclose if anybody stated that the place is haunted, I believe. Really? See- and that's hilarious because where I live, they specifically cannot tell you if anybody's been murdered in the home or if it's haunted. So being a giant prick, I always ask those two questions just to watch the agent get really fucking uncomfortable and it makes me happy. Can I can I tell a good story about uh somebody being murdered in a home? Well, since it's your podcast and all. Barely. I Again, I don't know if I've told this one, but I think it's it's probably like the greatest moment in my career that's not like police work. So there was a homicide, a DV homicide in this apartment building. We went to all the time, but it was an apartment we'd never been to. And what ended up happening is this dude was abusive and had beat the shit out of her for so long. And she finally just like, she's getting the shit beat out of her. 
and she fucking defended herself and ended up stabbing this dude. So he died. And so when I went to the apartment, I was one of the first couple of people on scene. It's a mess, right? You know, stabbing, blood everywhere, that kind of thing. Two or three months later, I go to this apartment again, and the call is a DV. And the guy that's coming with me, I think he was pretty new at the time. And I'm like, dude, there was just a fucking murder here. Like, she just killed somebody and she's in a relationship already? What the fuck? Turns out it was a rental. And different people were staying there. So we get up there and we talk to him. And it's a nothing burger DV just to kind of like, you know, they're having a little argument. No no allegations of a real crime or anything like that. So I get to talk to the, the gal that lives there now and she's a renter. And I've noticed that there's a, there's new tile, there's new grout, a lot of new things in the apartment. And I ask, I was like, this is, this is really nice redone apartment. It's really nice. She's like, yeah, I, uh, I'm not from here, but I have a friend that lives here and she knew the owner of this apartment and it just kind of came available. And you want to, you know, I know this guy that's trying to rent this apartment kind of thing. And so I came out and I loved it and I got it. And I said, yeah, it's it's really nice. It's really updated. And I mentioned the tile and the grout. And I said, how much are you paying for rent? And she told me, which for a two-bedroom apartment at the time was cheap, very cheap. And I loudly exclaimed, that is a killer deal. <laughs> Literally. My partner starts laughing. He has to like walk out. And... I think at that moment in time, it clicked that something was up in that apartment for her. And that was, I was like, all right, well, see you later kind of thing and left. So thanks for my service. Did I ever tell you the dick thing I did to some poor kid at a hotel on a murder scene? No. We, uh, I'll give you the short version. We had to go. It's when I was a public defender. So I picked up a murder case. We go to the scene as soon as it's released from the police. Long story short, throat slit in a hotel room, bled all the way through the mattresses onto the floor. So this poor kid has to take us into the hotel room and he walks us in and it had already been cleaned up. And this kid is just ghost white and I'm a prick. So I looked at him and I was like, so do you guys just pretty much just flip the mattress over and start running it out again? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought it was hilarious. This poor, like, 20-year-old kid working at the hotel did not think it was nearly as funny as I did. That's amazing. All right. So we know what comes at this part of the podcast. I got some dumb stuff to ask. But well, actually, you know what? I'm not there yet. Let me. I got one more thing I wanted to address. And I may address this down the line, but I wanted to kind of get your take. Does the paranormal thing, does it intertwine or mix with the extraterrestrial thing or is that like two completely different worlds i am not an alien ufo guy nor am i a bigfoot guy or a cryptid guy i know i'm probably going to get kicked out of the nerd club forever for saying that but i am not i don't i'm not saying that they're not out there it's not something that i'm into okay i just i didn't know if those two worlds like you know, like cat orgies or whatever you guys do on your weekends. 
there are a lot of conventions where they intermix and they intertwine, but you know, they have their separate conventions. It's, you know, star Wars, star Trek, you know, every once in a while, somebody will be at a big convention, but then, you know, they always have their own shit too. Every once in a while, you see captain Kirk and Han Solo get a room together. I know, I know what you're talking about. Let me, uh, I got some dumb questions for you. Okay. So let's kind of go back to the police site a little bit, mm-hmm. which seems like a year ago that we talked about this, but uh, I like, where you're coming from as far as the job goes like i i i i think a lot of people no let me rephrase that your heart is in the right place and it's kind of like you know not to get all touchy feely but it's inspirational right to hear like how the things should fucking be would you want your kids to get into law enforcement absolutely not 100 110 not uh i I'm going to go back to a couple of your episodes before because I really liked this episode and I listened to it. You're talking about the job being dead. And if it ever came back, if it was going to be a zombie, the reason that it's going to come back and be a zombie and be just a shell of what its former self was is because guys who knew how to do it when it was the job are going to be already gone. And the guys that took over for us were not trained in the way to do the job that we did it. It is going to be a, a horrible, shambling zombie of its former self. And they're not going to know how to do it. And if they do, if they, if I hate to say if they do do it, but you know, if the job is able to be done again, it's not going to be able to be done that way because it was just never taught. I, I just thought of this now and I'm not like disagreeing with you. Cause I, that's, that's kind of the school of thought I have is they just, they don't know, but is there, I mean, like I, I'm trying to be an optimist about it. it. And then maybe this is like rhetorical. And, and I said on a podcast that I would like a young person's view to kind of, we well, I've talked to some younger cops, but we haven't really got like the millennial Gen Z view on some of the stuff that, you know, the, the senior people think, but it, is maybe there a different way to do the job? I don't know if there is. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. I don't know. Well, unfortunately, I'm a big believer in also and seeing the transition of the job and being around when we first got mobile video recorders, MVRs, when we first got in-car video to the point where I'm wearing a video camera on me now and every time I turn my taser on, everybody within 21 feet, body camera comes on, you know? I've seen that evolution and I'm a firm believer that we do pay for the sins of our fathers and we pay for the sins of those that come before us. And a lot of stuff I've seen over my career was done wrong. And I'm glad that that has been phased out because it wasn't the right way to do things. And I'm a firm believer in doing things the right way. You don't build houses in swamps. Everything should be solid from the get-go. If it's not 110% from the get-go, let it walk. You know what I mean? That makes sense. And we're kind of paying for that. That makes a ton of sense. But go on. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. uh, I'm trying to get to the point, but I'm kind of going around getting to the point because I have to kind of explain my point uh, and I'm rambling again, but everything should be done the right way. Don't cut corners, do it the right way. And coming up in the 22 years, I saw guys cutting corners. I saw them cutting corners and getting away with it. Having the cut and paste PCs, having all that, you know what I mean? And that's not the right way to do it. And we're paying for that down the line now because 
of what they did before us. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And I don't let me put words in your mouth and, and to put it into context. I, I think sometimes, you know, there's this like, you know, cops are out there doing criminal things. I didn't see it. Right. Like, I can't say it never happens, but I'm not seeing I wasn't seeing criminal things. But what I was seeing was lazy shit. And every op, every action, this is another new thing I need to stop saying, but every action has an opposite an equal reaction. Right. All this shit is going to come back and bite you in the ass. So that one time you compromise how you would normally do things, the balls, the snowball starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it rolls downhill. So. I put a lot of blame on admin and I put a lot of blame on politicians, but there's also, there's a lot of blame and we need to fucking look internally at ourselves and say, we did some dumb shit. Was it to the magnitude that is being um, taught on the internet? No, but it still wasn't great. And we are not doing ourselves any favors. And because of the dumb shit people do and continue to do, I'm just going to fucking scream it from the mountaintops. Stop doing stupid shit because it doesn't just affect you. It affects every fucking person that puts on a uniform. Don't be a dipshit, not just for you, but for everybody else. And maybe uh, maybe my point was a little bit vague and maybe I was a little bit rambling on it because I have a tendency to do that, but I'm not saying that I saw things done illegal. Uh, and if I did see something illegal, I would have definitely, I'm that guy. I would have, you know, I would have definitely handled it right then and there. But I'm saying, like I said, I saw dumb shit. I saw lazy shit. I saw corners cut. I saw, you know, and unfortunately, every time you do that, you're kind of fucking the guys that are coming after us because you're making bad case law. You know what I mean? And you, yep. that was the point I was getting to is you're making bad past practice. You're making bad case law. You're making all that because even if you do everything by the numbers and you do everything the right way, a good defense attorney is still going to punch holes in what you did. Even if you did everything the right way, if you are lazy and you cut corners and you do bullshit and you do bullshit investigations and you do bullshit police work, defense attorney is going to fuck your case and you're going to make bad case law okay that is the one thing and i have nothing but respect for defense attorneys and i'm not saying that because saul's on here they make me better at what i do and that's the way i look at them i learned every time i got beat on a case i learned how i got beat on that case and how i had to investigate harder and work just that extra five minutes extra 10 minutes to shore my case up to where it was either a plea or a pti pretrial intervention you know what I mean? Because at that point, I did my job. The next question I have, I'm going to split it into two. Did you make any rookie mistakes as a paranormal investigator? Oh, yeah. You got a good story? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found as an investigator is in – I, I just think it's common sense, but if it was common, everybody would have it. Uh, asking people about how they died or when they died or, you know, why would anyone want to speak about the worst day of their, you know, of their life or their past life or, or however it was. And 
also walking right into a place and going, if you're here with me, knock on the wall. If you're here with me, move something. If you're here with me, do something. It's like walking into somebody's house at a party and going, hey, man, make me a sandwich or give me a beer. How about a little bit of, you know, a little warm up time? How about introducing yourself, explaining why you're there, why you're in their house, why you're in their space, thanking them for sharing their space with you, you know, a little bit of a warm up period. And, you know, it's all rookie mistakes. We all do it because, you know, you've seen people do it on TV or you've seen other investigators do it. You automatically think that that's the right way. So it's, it's all a learning curve. What about as a cop? Any good rookie mistake stories? I could lay the Empire State Building on its side and start writing at floor one and probably not stop till I got to the tip writing down all my fuck-ups. But I've learned from every one of them. Let me ask you, can you talk or can you – do you have to be present to, I guess, pick up on the paranormal normal stuff? Like from Florida – on this podcast, could you tell me if my dungeon has ghosts? I am not a psychic medium. I'm not an empath. I don't have any of those gifts. I I have seen people that have those gifts. I know people that have those gifts, and they've amazed me. And it's very, very few and far between. But there are people out there like that. I am not one of them. Okay. There was a question that came up on the uh the prior spooky story podcast that I think maybe you could answer. Um, And I had some people get into my messages, my DMS as the kids say, but I'm curious if you have the same answer. So uh, there, I don't remember verbatim what the, the, exactly the debate was, but I, I asked if, Oh, actually, I think it was about your story about the birdhouse, the birdhouse, they tore it down. And my question was what, happened to the spirit the birdhouse location is now an open field that that corner is nothing but an open field they have never built anything on that corner but where does the spirit go is it like in the field now or did it go with the 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 materials when it went to the dump how does that work i don't know (laughs) say what it's in your dungeon could be I never actually went back and investigated it and tried to figure out. I I can only assume if it was an object haunt and that object was taken out of there. Like if that entity was attached to a bed or an item that was left in that place, then that entity would have gone with that. Or it could just be roaming around now out there. I'm not 100%. I've never gone back to that field and investigated to see if it was still there. The theory that came into my messages was, okay, so the birdhouse is gone physically but it could still be there in the spiritual world and so it could still be doing its thing in a you know i don't know i guess a different realm if that makes sense if i'm articulating that right yeah uh you're talking about interdimensional beings um something like that yeah there's a lot of theory out there and it can actually be proved mathematically that there are multiple dimensions multiple layers and some people believe that the veil between the dimensions actually thins and things cross over and come back and forth. Uh, that's another rabbit hole that you can go down and, and really get into. Um, I've read a lot about it. You know, and like I said, I, I really don't know 100% what it is because there's a lot of theory out there and there's a lot of stuff that, that seems plausible. And, you know, it just depends on your take on things, I guess. 
What was the proudest moment of your police career? My dad passed away um, January 16th of 2012. And, you know, uh, he was always everything to me. Um, him actually being there when I got officer of the year and being there when I got uh, multiple other awards that year. Um, that that was the proudest moment of my career was my dad being there with me for that. That's awesome, man. You know, my, my dad was in law enforcement too, is in law enforcement too. And, you know, I got up, you know, he pinned my badge on when I, when I started. So I, I, I definitely feel that man. Yeah. That that's, that's the proudest moment of my career is when my dad was there, when I got that, that was, that was unbelievable. But, you know, my dad was there when I got sworn in, but uh, yeah, I, I miss him a lot. And it's awesome that your dad's, you know, on the podcast and he's awesome on the podcast and just, listening to his wisdom and everything, just listening to it. It's, 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 it's amazing. And I really, really like the roundtable discussions that you guys do and hearing the different perspectives from all around the United States, from different cops, from different experience levels and, you know, different areas. But when you guys do those three, four guy and your dad roundtables and you're just firing questions and everybody's throwing their little two cents in to me, it's informative and it keeps me, engaged because i like hearing everybody's different perspective on things because we all see shit differently out there we all look at things differently out there from our experience levels our training levels you know and to get everybody's different perspective on everything i just think it's valuable and especially to the like the younger guys at my agency that listen to your to your podcast they really like hearing that experience they like hearing those different perspectives if that's just something that you can take from a listener's perspective I, I appreciate that, man. I, I think to start out, I think there's something we all have a lot to learn from each other. And if, you know, my, my podcast is a small way to facilitate that in between poop jokes, I'm good with it. It's, it means a lot to hear that, you know, cause it's, it's a, it's an interesting life I live now. And it's, it's, I, you know, sometimes to be honest, it's like, ah, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or if I should be doing more or less or whatever, but it definitely, um, you know, it's always hard to take a compliment. I never know what quite to do with my hands, but it, it makes me feel good that there's some good coming out of this for sure. Yeah. Especially a young millennial cop getting to hear a guy that's got 40 years on the job, you know, 30 plus years on the job and just, you know, the wisdom that he could pass down to them, you know, they don't actually get that a lot. And, you know, different agencies with different training budgets across the United States. My, one of my favorite things about all the training that I did, especially when I was in CID, I don't know how much you hate the word CID, but when I was in CID, um, was going all across the country and talking to different cops from all over the country and hearing their different perspectives on things. Because we're all going to bitch about the same thing. We're all going to bitch about admin. We're all going to bitch about training budgets. We're all going to bitch about equipment. We're all going to bitch about that. That's the grass. That's the grass is never greener theory. That is what I call it. But to hear the way guys do things out in California and hear the way guys things do in the Midwest and the way the guys do things in West Virginia or Ohio or Pennsylvania or Florida or Texas or wherever jurisdiction, we can all learn from each other because maybe we're not doing it the right way. Maybe they are. Maybe we can fold some of what they're doing into what we're doing and kind of make it better. And if it makes it better for all of us, it's worth that 10 minutes of time. You know, something that drives me up the wall is you'll see something that an agency did 10 years ago that was bad, and you would just hope 
somebody sees that. And, and I think we all get like kind of frustrated with like the knee jerk thing about something stupid. Like, all right, this dude fucking did whatever 400 miles away. We didn't do it kind of stuff. But I, I think in between that, there's these valuable lessons that departments learn. And I think as an administrator, you have to be paying attention to that stuff. So you make sure your department doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, I mean, like, there's just dumb shit. Like, I can't say what it is because it'll kind of dox me a little bit. But, like, there was an incident that happened at my department. And you go back and kind of look at, like, what led up to that. It was a fucking training failure. A huge training failure that some of the stuff was going on. But it was just, like, nothing bad had ever happened. So nobody ever thought something bad would happen kind of thing. But then you look at it with my favorite term, the helicopter view. And you're like, that was fucking stupid. And I I think hopefully, you know, I get kind of hesitant because I don't, I don't fucking know everything. So I don't want, I don't want somebody getting hurt because I gave bad advice or something like that. But I think we can talk to each other and listen to what other people are saying and kind of get that perspective. And some things might work in Timbuktu and they won't work in West Virginia, you know? Yeah. But I, I think to just kind of have those ideas about how things are going. I mean, I don't know a ton about law enforcement here in Iowa, but you know, the few conversations I've had with people, there's a lot of fucking crazy differences between Colorado, which isn't that far away, you know? So I, I think this big country we have, and while, some things are really the same the job. I think is the same in a lot of aspects. There's a lot of differences and there's a lot of things that departments have experienced, but other departments haven't. And I wish I definitely don't want to federalize police force, but I wish that like, you know, we would learn from like, Oh shit, that was, we all kind of do this. We should probably not do this. That, that ended up being a bad thing. We didn't, we didn't see that as being a bad thing, but we didn't think of X, Y, Z, you know, if that makes any sense. Oh, 100%. And then the other thing that we all need to get past is my dick's bigger than yours. I'm not telling you shit because if you want to figure it out, figure it out on your own, you know, and the, I cannot. The very next podcast that will come out after this one, which is was recorded yesterday. Holy fuck. Does, do we kind of talk about that? Like, mm-hmm. uh, just a little. No, well, we always talk about dicks and I got kind of upset when you're talking about dicks. And I was like, come on, man, you know, you know, my problems, but the I talked to a cop from New York and he gives this crazy story about that exact thing, like not sharing information. Shut there's a lot of things that I think the millennials and Gen X is kind of or Gen Z's kind of whine about, but like not sharing fucking basic information. How do you do your job? Go figure it out. No, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Come on. That that's ridiculous. And, you know, not sharing information between agencies, whether it's the alphabet agencies and local or, you know, even the sheriff's office and local PDs. That's the one thing that we were real big on here where I'm at in my county, uh, the county that I work in. Uh, we were all very big. We all, even though we were separate jurisdictions and we had those jurisdictional boundaries, we all, because bad guys don't know jurisdiction. You know, and our cities are all stacked right on top of each other. And we all live in this big thing called the county. So I would know county VCD detectives, neighboring city VCD detectives. And we would all talk and we would all share info and we would all share bolos and we would share, you know what I mean? We would share all that stuff between each other. 
because the bad guy that I'm chasing in my city is probably hiding out two cities south. And then that guy is going to have something with him. And then he's going to pop back out in the county or he's going to do something else. So everybody has to be on top of everything. And if it's, I'm not sharing this information because I'm the county Mountie and you guys are just city cops. And you guys don't do shit. You know, it's, it's just the wrong way to police. It's the wrong way to do business. We all need to work together. And I'm, I'm not a hand holding kumbaya, you know, kind of, kind of person, but we all should definitely learn from each other and share everything and work together. It's only going to make everybody better. It's only going to make everybody smarter at the end of the day. And it's only going to make us better at what we do at the end of the day. Now, after that great epic speech, the, probably the most important question of the podcast, do ghosts shit their pants? Uh, no, but I have on multiple occasions because there are two types of people in this world. And I'm the one that shits my pants. I'm not a liar. <laughs> do you have a good story? Uh, one that won't uh, ghost hunting shit in your pants or... On the job shitting your pants, because I have both. <laughs> I mean, I hate, I've got I got time for both. I don't know if Saul does. Uh, I hate calling it ghost hunting because it's not like I'm going to trust a ghost out across the rack of my F-350 and drive him in to weigh him out. You know what I mean? I like calling it investigating matter, but okay, I can't stand I'll... that ghost hunting thing. That's just, that's just my little personal thing, because you're not hunting it because you're not going to catch it. You know what I mean? You might catch a picture of it, but you're not hunting it. That makes sense. So yeah. you got a good shit in your pants story while you're out investigating. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, actually, we we're in a cemetery that we investigate all the time. I'm sitting in my car waiting for the other guys to get there. And this is where we're actually going to go on our meal break, throw some flashlights out, do a little bit of investigating, maybe catch some EVPs uh, while while we're working. So, you know, I'm waiting for the guys to get there and I got my head down. I got my face buried in my phone. I'm not really paying attention. I'm kind of checking emails, doing whatever. And I hear two rapid succession knocks on my passenger window. Gun comes out straight up at the passenger window. I thought somebody walked right up on me. You know, how many cops have been ambushed in their car in the middle of nowhere? You know what I mean? Yep. So jump out of the car, running around the car, flashlight up, gun up, and actually Hershey's kissed right into my right into my jockey strap, jockey shorts. And there was nobody there. Whatever it was, knocked on the window of my knocked on the window of my patrol car sitting in the middle of the cemetery. You know, I don't blame you for that one. Shit'll happen. Yeah. And the on duty one? Let's that one's it. a little bit a little bit more embarrassing. It was on a specialized unit at the time. We're unmarked cars, tack vests, doing vice narcotics work. One of our guys calls out. He's got a big uh, party at one of our problem apartment buildings. And there's a bunch of people out there. We get out there and it ends up turning into a fight with everybody out there. Our whole team is fighting everybody that's on the porch. Uh, I got my hands wrapped up in this guy's dreads and we're fighting we're going backwards and I get hit square on linebacker tackle right at the side and as soon as I get hit bango right into the shorts go down finish the fight get everybody
I found the long fart, everyone. But go on. <laughs> to quote my good friend Tobias, <laughs> that soundboard is too much, dude. Anyway, we finish up, get everybody handcuffed. One of the guys on the team looks at me and he goes, Did you shit your pants? I'm like, I'll be right back. I ran inside and it's run down old tenement building, you know, not the nicest place in the world. And I go right into the maintenance closet, <laughs> end up chucking the underwear in the garbage, a little bit of hose action, and uh, get back in the car. And my partner looks at me and the same question was asked. I'm like, this will never be discussed again. And we just kind of went back, processed the paperwork, and went on with our lives. Did you just do a ghetto bidet? <laughs> I actually, <laughs> and it was a red rubber hose, you know, the red rubber hose that they fill the, uh, the mop buckets with. Oh, yeah, just a little just a little rinse to get back in the BDUs, to get back out on the road, pretty much. Bro, if that's not on Urban Dictionary, I'm going to fucking put it there. Ghetto bidet? <laughs> God. I can't believe I actually told that story. Oh, and now it's for everybody to hear it. I would like I to know. nominate that for the name of the podcast. <laughs> but it Get has nothing bidet. to do with everything else. <laughs> oh my God. Ghetto bidet. Those are the best titles where you're like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? And then you get three hours <laughs> fucking in and you're like, oh, there it is. All right, so here is the ghetto bidet on Urban Dictionary. is when one flushes the toilet while sitting on it, causing the water to cleanse their ass like a bidet would do. You know, the little splashback. That's not a good term. The sploosh. The sploosh. And then the next one is kind of the same thing, but worded funnier. Uh, When taking a big shit and it hits toilet water and then the water splashes up your a-hole, like a kid canning bawling at the pool. I think your definition is one of the fucking funniest things I've ever heard in my life. I love the ghetto bidet. I'm going to get one. (sighs) I've been thinking about getting a bidet. I cannot believe I told that story. It's just, you know, loved ones will never look at me the same if they end up listening to this, but it's all right. I shit my pants. Who cares? It happens. It happens. Well, I think (laughs) it is. I mean, I think there's been some good ones on here. There's been some liars. But there's been some good ones. But I mean, we had uh, Mattingly from Louisville on uh, early in this season. And like his story was fucking great where he's like, yeah, I was just taking a piss. And I thought I had a fart and pushed a little hard. And, you know, there it was. And I ripped my, you know, my my underwear off and I got back to business, which you did, too, man. You fucking you you ripped off those shitty underbridges. You fucking got the ghetto bidet and you were fucking right back there in the fight. Well, the fight had already been over, but yeah, it was just a little Hershey squirt out into the box of shorts and then, you know, strip it off, wash it out, get back, get back in the game. Did you keep the rubber hose as a souvenir? Uh, No, no. I think the dirtiest part of that whole story was the closet that I washed my ass off in. (laughs) I find the whole thing to be oddly hot. I won't lie. (laughs) Yeah. All that man on man action and then you have to go hose your ass out. I could see where that would go. Oh, <laughs> yes. Speaking of Blue Falcon, um, yes. I'm drinking my whiskey out of a straw now, just in honor of you. Sorry. <laughs> so, speaking of whiskey, I really drank a lot of whiskey the last podcast, and I didn't even notice. So the bottle's looking a little empty tonight. But well, that's a lie. I did notice this morning with a raging headache, but that's besides the point. But you, good sir, before we started recording, after I just, you know, had you tell the story about the ghetto bidet, 
and that was kind of a blue blue falcon move. You you had some beef. You you said I was a bit of a blue falcon on something. I'm I'm curious what you had on that. No, actually, what I said was uh, the last episode that I listened to, uh, you guys were cacawing about a bunch of uh, about being a blue falcon. So I was preparing myself for the blue falcon cacaw. Oh, I misheard you. I yeah. Of all, but Saul said I can't do the the fucking sounds anymore. Can I, Saul? Is it okay? I'm just channeling Tobias. He would be rolling his eyes right now. He would be asleep right now. He would be under something heavy. Okay. All right. The second most important question. Good sir. What is the best police car of all time? Crown Victoria. Fuck you, Tobias. Here's the air horn. Although, if he gets as far in the episode, again, he's probably sleeping. I have begged and begged and begged. I actually uh, DM'd you a picture of the two Crown Vicks in my agency's basement. Oh, it was so good. That that is a hot Crown Vic, by the way. I was looking at it this morning when I was going through our chat. Yeah. Yeah, That is a fucking great Crown Vic. I have begged and begged and begged to get that for my car. And I said, no complaints, no nothing. But, you know, our contract, it's out of the mileage, out of the years. You can't even drive it. And uh, I have begged to have that back. And I said, I'll I'll take it for the rest of my career. Never have a complaint out of me. And they just won't give it up. Saul, did I send you guys the Crown Vic that I found for sale in Missouri? You send so many fucking Crown Vic picks. I don't know. There, there was a black and white Crown Vic. It's somewhere in Missouri because, like, my kid was like, "Hey, will you search like Lamborghini? Search whatever." So all these cars were coming up, and we searched Crown Vic. It was a Crown Vic, and it was uh, they put decals all over it, deputies for Trump, and there was a Trump train on it. It was pretty funny. Just oddly envisioning what a Trump train would look like, and it must be different than my Google searches. Maybe have safe search on for that one. But to transition into something else, I just got my Crown Vic Halloween-themed coin that you guys are selling, and it is absolutely phenomenal. Everybody out there, definitely pick yourself up one. There's a few left. Not a ton. Uh, They're fucking awesome. I'm actually I'm holding mine right now. We uh, And that's what she thought. said. Well, I, let's be honest, man. I'm holding it the whole entire time we're recording. But we we put a lot of thought and love into this coin, so... And we got some really, I don't know, I think about the time this podcast comes out, some fucking crazy shit is coming out with them. So I'm really excited for that. Free plug for me. Can I put in another shameless plug? What is the the name of the officer that you're helping out with the breast cancer and the patches? Deputy Turner. Buy some patches, guys. Come on. Pink patches. I will say, having gone through cancer and chemo and all that stuff with my wife, unless you've been through that, people do not understand the giant fucking burden that brings along with it. So um, every little bit goes a long way and is extremely helpful. So I would just shamelessly plug and encourage people to be a part of that. Yeah, and... Even if you don't want to buy a pink patch, you know, go through my stuff. I've done a couple posts in October. There's links to send her, just send her some money to help out. I mean, every, like, like Saul said, every little bit helps. So she's, 
going through a ton of stuff. She's, you know, got the little kiddo. Let's do our best to help her out. That's awesome. Birdman. Yes, sir. Do you have any imparting words of wisdom for all the millions of listeners out there? Keep listening to the podcast and support all of their sponsors. You fucking did my job for me. (laughs) Fuck you, Tobias. (laughs) I'm going to rename the button, fuck you, Tobias, and I'll know what it is. Well, guys, you fucking heard it here first. Go buy my shit. Make the podcast possible. So... We can have ghost hunting in the dungeon. That would actually, as much as I don't want to do it, because I don't want my kids to be terrified, or maybe I won't tell them, that could be the greatest podcast ever. Could it not? Me, you, and Saul, a year from now, going through the dungeon, looking for ghosts. could be pretty good. I'm all about it. And then, you know, I got the other stuff we talked about before we started recording. We could, you know, whip out and play with a little bit, you know? Iowa ghost tours and pegging. I'm all dead. Well, folks, you know what that means. Support our sponsors. Okay, I can't do the sexy voice. That's not me. But as always, guys, I appreciate you. Everything you guys do to make this podcast possible. I'm humbled. The fucking patches, all the cool stuff you guys have done for me. And of course, man, you did my job and I'm totally fucked up now. How about this? Let's go take care of Deputy Turner, all right? So with that said, everybody, stay safe out there and um, be nice to ghosts because they're people too. Love you all. Nope, that's not what I say. I love most of you. Bye-bye. How long have I been fucking doing this? I don't even know my outro anymore.